Hey everyone out there, how's it going? Welcome to ScreenSpeak. It's the podcast that's all about movies, life, and so much more. My name is Jordan Anderson, and this is my podcast. Appreciate you coming by, and more importantly, I appreciate each of you for supporting the world of movies and having discussions around it. On this episode, I talk in-depth about the ongoing WGA strike with my friend and writer Sophia Hahn. Sophia is a copywriter by day at a content marketing agency and also does freelance work for a place called Dispatch, which is a print and digital publication that reports on the arts and culture scene of the Minneapolis and St. Paul area, and also does freelance for a place called The Current, which is a non-commercial, member-supported radio station that is a direct affiliate of NPR, known as Minnesota Public Radio, where she mostly writes about bands performing in the area. How badass is that? Sophia herself is no stranger to this podcast. She's been featured as a guest in episodes 42 and 24. So feel free to visit or revisit those if you enjoy Sophia and what she's got to say about movies and life in general. You can also learn more about Sophia and what she's doing by checking out the description of this episode. So over the course of this episode, we're going to break down and analyze and make sense of this WGA strike. And again, it's in-depth too. Because a subject like this really isn't one that you can just quote-unquote talk about. Extensive research had to be done on my end to make sense of it all and to justify and inform the opinion that I do have on this situation. And the only way that you're going to find out what that opinion is, is by listening to this episode. Now, broadly speaking, my goal of this episode is to take apart some of the complexities of this strike and help you to make sense of it. It's also to raise awareness on this issue and why I think it's important and affecting to not just the entertainment industry, but the entertainment culture as we know it. And I think regardless of where you stand on the strike, we can all agree that we want those working professionally in the industry to be able to make a livable and fair wage. So simply put, at the end of the day, we need writers and studios to coexist and continue to put out content that's going to have us talking and connecting in ways that would otherwise not be possible. After the episode, stick around, do all the things, hit the follow button, hit the bell, download episodes, social media, etc., etc. But most importantly, research this strike for yourself and let me know your thoughts on it, either on social media, being Instagram or Facebook, or you can always email the podcast at screenspeakpodcast at gmail.com. All this information is in the description of this and most any episode. So all that said, I appreciate each and every one of you for being here. I hope you enjoy all the content that we have to provide for you on the subject that is the WGA strike. Now sit back and enjoy the episode. Sophia, welcome back to ScreenSpeak. What's up? Woo! Happy to be here. Honestly, it's uh, excited to be the solo guest. You know, I you've only ever been, uh, rode a uh, rode co-pilot with Adam. Exactly. Uh, yeah, this is this will be the first with just us. Exactly. A little nervous, worried that I won't have you know the good banter, but excited to try it out. I don't think that's true because you, at your core, are a writer. That's true. I mean. I see a segue. Yeah. (laughs) No, but I I actually, I did want to specifically have you on this because I know that you have a a interest as a writer yourself. You do some freelance work on the side. Uh, Can can I say for who, or is that uh, that a big deal? Sure. I mean, I can talk about it. Uh, Yeah, yeah. 
I freelance for two different outlets. One is Dispatch, which is like a magazine. Maybe they call themselves a zine here in Minneapolis that really focuses on arts, culture, different things happening in the city. And then for The Current, which is the major, um, it's an affiliate of NPR, the Minnesota version. Um, and they do a lot of um, local independent music coming out of the cities. So, and you yeah. will write about uh, basically like reviews for uh, bands and artists and other things of that nature, right? Exactly. Yep. For the current in particular, it is just focused on a review of a show that happened the night before. Um, so far, I've written two profiles of local bands, kind of spotlighting what role do they play in the broader Minneapolis local music scene, general economy kind of thing. Pretty cool stuff to me. You guys were also very uh, well. You guys were also very hospitable to to me and my wife when we were up there uh, a couple weeks ago. Which it's hard to hard to think that it, like that much time has gone by. It that was seems, fast. Yeah, it, it went by very fast. Uh, but we were up there and we saw M eighty three. Shout out to them. They are incredible. Uh, check out their new album, Fantasy, in stores now. <laughs> <laughs> For, for those of us, for those of us that still buy CDs and and vinyl and whatnot, um, and then you also got us a hookup to go see a micro show, which I had never actually even I didn't even know what that was to see. Is his name Genesis Awasu? Awusu. Awusu. My my okay. apologies. No worries. He does, um, I don't think he's gonna yell at you. He has a new he album. Might. He has a new album coming out and a tour. I saw. It's a big tour too. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of locations. Oh yeah, he's yes. Um, shout out Genesis Wusu. I think every one of your listeners, as soon as they are done with this podcast, should go listen to Genesis Wusu. Um, a s- outstanding stage performance. Like he just has so much charisma mm-hmm. on stage. Um, love love his music, and I honestly put it down in my calendar when his new album comes out. I'm that excited. So so pumped for Genesis. So side note. Aside from talking about the WGA writer strike and everything like that, definitely check out Genesis Awa. Oh, oh my God, Awusu. Awusu. I, I keep saying Awasu. I don't know. Awoo. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. That, that's actually that's actually a really easy way to remember it. Genesis Awusu. Uh, yeah. No, he he's fantastic. I actually got to meet him at the show. Um, he's. Uh, I loved that picture of you too. It was so cute. <laughs> It's 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 funny because I, I I actually kind of felt stupid in hindsight smiling for it because I kind of realized that part of like his thing is like you know don't smile like don't feel like you got to be pretend for like the media and then like I'm being a jackass and and, and smiling but I was happy to have met him and it was Listen, cool so yeah you're allowed to express that <laughs> and I also love that you were repping M eighty three as you're meeting him and you're like hello. <laughs> I did. I did tell him. I mean, I blatantly was like, I was like, uh, I was like, I didn't even. I've never heard of you. (laughs) Like, I'm like, like not in a bad way. I'm just like, I, I've never heard of you. But I was in town for another show. I'm wearing the shirt right now. It's pretty cool. And uh, friends brought us here. And now we're gonna listen to you. And I followed him on Instagram like immediately after meeting him. So yeah. I mean, that's to me like if that's not kind of the point of doing that, like building your audience and stuff like that, then I'm not really sure what is. But totally. we we got we got to get into the writer strike stuff, okay? Because this yeah. is I, I I'm gonna tell gonna tell my listeners out here, but this will be a semi meaty episode just because this is not a subject I found, especially once going in and doing research to just kind of give generalized thoughts on. You really have to get into the weeds a bit and understand. Uh, how the structure of unions work, how there's multiple unions in the entertainment system, uh, contract negotiations, what does that look like, why do they negotiate on contracts. There's a lot of 
uh, a lot of these details that are worth kind of getting into. So I didn't want to just go into this blind. So I did a fair amount of research for this. So hopefully that, that hopefully that shows in the conversation. But this is how I want this conversation to go. And this is how it's going to play out for everybody that's listening. So I'm going to start off by just kind of generally defining what a strike actually is. I'm sure most of us have a general idea, but I found in researching strikes that there's a fair amount of terminology that I think when you hear about it reported in media, there's just kind of an assumption that you know about it or you understand it. And I think that's a little unfair because not everybody knows exactly what some of these things mean, despite striking being something that's gone on in unions since, I mean, at least the days of like Jimmy Hoffa, if not before then. Um, yeah, I, I'll definitely talk about as well, just kind of a little bit of the history of like writer strikes. Like when did this like last go down? Why does it happen? Um, and then I'll get into the specifics of just what this strike itself actually means. What does it affect? How long could it potentially last? We'll cover what the WGA is as a union, um, what they sort of do for writers that are a part of it, why so many people are a part of it. Uh, we'll get into some more of those unions that are inside of the entertainment industry. And then then that's finally when we'll be covering what exactly is this strike about? What exactly are the writers demanding? Why did this strike actually get to this point? Um, who's kind of on the right side of it? Is there a right side of it? So I want to definitely talk about both sides of it. Uh, because I feel like the the coverage I've seen for it has certainly mostly been from the writer's point of view, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but there's an entire other side of the union issue on this, and I don't really feel like it's being covered that well. So hopefully I do a, a, a similar, uh, a, not a similar, but a good job uh, just kind of conveying uh, that information. And then ultimately, Miss Sophia and myself, I think we're just going to try to lend our opinions and just you know, say with with a relative amount of uh, confidence, like who is actually correct on this or is there a side to kind of be on or what does the future sort of have to hold? So that's what we're going to get into. So with that said, I'm just going to go ahead and jump into what exactly a strike is. Uh, now, Sophia, do you know, do you know what a strike is or what do you think of when you hear the word strike? See, when I think of the word strike, I think kind of of like the big strikes that have happened recently with people, mostly Amazon warehouses, right. uh, New York, Alabama, where it's, we are walking off the job. In the case of the writer strike, it's pens down, stepping away from the laptop. You will not yep. get work out of me until my demands are met. Yes. And I'm sure that that looks a little <clears throat> bit different for every single, every single workplace. You know, everyone has like their different demands and their, how work is shut down. Mm -hmm. but tell me more. So striking, uh, you know, I think a lot of us conjure up images of people standing outside of a factory with the classic picket signs and the, you know, big things being like, you're taking our jobs and like freedom. And like, there's, yeah. there's this whole, uh, there's this whole song and dance to it. Um, but some of that still is true to this day. And some of that stuff from those old days of striking does still carry over to today. Um, so one of the first terms that usually comes across with striking is picketing or uh, the picket line, right? Now, picketing is just the act of, t of protesting outside of a building. So in the case of the writer's strike, if you look on uh, social media, most of them are happening outside of places like Paramount or Warner Brothers or Lionsgate or a handful of these other uh, big studio systems that for the majority 
um, are based in California, uh, but there are, of course, other ones on both the East and West Coast, of which WGA has two separate unions to represent both sides of those coasts. So there's that. Um, then the term I never understood myself is picket line. I would, I would hear yeah. people say like the picket line. And I'm like, well, what what exactly is that? So picket line, what that is, it's, it's a boundary that's established by workers on a strike, uh, typically taking place at the entrance of a work and others are asked not to cross this. They're asked yes. not to cross this, which is then where the term crossing the picket line comes from. And I always like never really understood that term either. Uh, but what that means is that workers that still continue to work while other workers or other people that represent their company are still on strike. And the subsequent term that falls with that is kind of a, a derogatory term, if you will. But if you do that, by and large, you're likely considered to be a scab. Uh, Which is such a like... It's a pretty know, that's, dirty that's gotta term. Cut deep. You know, if you see them walking in, you're like, scab, that's got, ah, mm -hmm. that's just got to cut so deep. That's got to feel so good to say. The oh, first man. time I ever actually heard the term scab in striking and like didn't understand what it meant, it was back in the uh, football movie, The Replacements, actually, because oh, okay. uh, that, that that entire movie is about getting replacement players because like the NFL or something is on strike and they're, you know, their players want more money and things like that. And then people are saying scab, scab. And I was like, what? what? I don't know what that means. I, I'm a child. <laughs> I um, learned it from uh, the Newsies, the 90s movie with Christian Bale about like the little little. Oh, yeah. boys are like the papers you know <laughs> and they because all the little like newsy boys the little like street boys stop mm -hmm. selling papers because they're not getting paid and then they hire scabs and then you know christian bale's like you scabs and they're like old timey act i don't know i don't remember the movie <laughs> i watched it in middle school you but... remember it far more than i do uh i i I'm trying to think. I've seen it maybe maybe once and I don't even think I've seen the entirety of it, but is it worth watching? Oh yeah. Do you like musicals? That's the biggest thing. Uh, like Yeah, you're gonna like, hate it. Not not, uh, not not especially. Yeah. I mean Christian Bale does a uh I don't know if it's good, but it is heartrending when he walks through the streets of New York or wherever there are singing about how he's gonna get out of this stinking town, you know? It's a good one. <laughs> Um, really pulls yeah. at your heartstrings, makes you makes you care about the newspaper business. <laughs> Did not think I'd be talking about that in this episode, but hey, hey, Chris, Christian Bale, Christian Bale, <laughs> Newsies. Some I'm sure that your work is remembered all these years later. Exactly. Um, but yeah, the the, the the scab term, I was like, okay, like that that makes sense though, because like if a lot of people are doing it, you kind of are looking as like a I'm for the man kind of thing. Like screw screw my coworkers, like I I'm still getting mm -hmm. paid. I can't afford to just stand outside and and not get money. So I'm like, okay, okay, that makes sense. And then the other term that really kind of like was making me scratch my head is I never understood what solidarity meant mm -hmm. um, in terms of striking. Do you know Do you know what that means? To me, standing in solidarity is just like you see that the way that the workers are either off the job or the way that they have somehow <clears throat> stopped putting in their work to right. XYZ company. And you, too, are avoiding the services that 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 company provides or you're trying to stay away. You're doing everything <clears throat> that the writers are also doing without yeah. actually being one of the workers, writers, whatever it may be yourself. So. Yes. That, that it, that's actually pretty close. Um, okay, cool. I, I, I will say from, and, and again, I just want to be very clear to the audience here. I did research on this a fair amount. Does that make me a expert? Probably not. There are other people well, 
well more versed or way more versed in this than me. So if I botch something, well, you can, you know, sorry, sue me. You know, I, I, I tried. Um, solidarity. <clears throat> okay, well, for, hang on. So first, what you kind of said is very similar to like boycotting because boycotting and solidarity, uh, solidarity are very similar terms. Um, but what I saw solidarity is as meaning is when one union is going on strike to support another union that is on strike. So a good example that I found online of this was like, if you take like a grocery store, for instance, and there are a bunch of cashiers that decide to stop working because cashiers are getting grossly underpaid. They have like shit benefits. They're not getting treated properly. It is entirely possible that within that grocery store, you could have a meat department in there being like, Hey, we have a lot of our friends that are on the cashier stuff. Yeah, that is bullshit what's happening to them. So we're going to stop working too to help them kind of get to put pressure on the people and get what they want. And then you're standing in solidarity with your fellow workers that are not doing what you do, but they are in a related field of what you do. That is okay. what I understand it to mean. That makes a lot of sense. So in that case, the general public can't truly stand in solidarity with the workers because they aren't within yeah. the same ecosystem. It could be another union within the unions because gotcha. the, and that's and that's definitely like a like honestly like a little bit overwhelming when you look at the amount of unions associated with entertainment. Oh boy. Oh boy. There is a lot. But I definitely think it's important to understand these terms when we talk about striking, uh, especially with this subject, because there is almost like a unique vocabulary that's specific to these particular types of situations. And if you don't understand what some of those terms mean, then you kind of get lost in the conversation and you don't really know how to make sense of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I definitely wanted to establish that. Yeah. And I feel like it's really easy to to see, you know, the flashpoint images, whether that's on TV, newspapers, whatever, and kind of have a general consensus of like, oh, these people are standing over here meeting. These are the people striking. Right. These are the people inside. <clears throat> but what does what role is everyone actually playing in the system? Yes. Um, and I do want to point out, too, I was listening to a podcast because I also prepped. Um, the picket line is physical. It's not just like mm -hmm. an imaginary line that people are like, oh, by going into work, I've crossed the picket line, air quotes. Right. This is very physical. The people who are on strike are outside and they are outside of their jobs. You know, they are physically yeah. there to create that line. I guess, <clears throat> I don't know. I had always assumed, especially for someone like writers, that it is just a, you won't get any work from us. But right. it, no, it is a physical representation yes. of these are the people who are not at work right now. I gotta say, it would be pretty bold just thinking about the actual crossing of it. Because if it was, if yeah. there was, if there was significant amount of people at your company or organization doing this, and then you're just like, "See you guys," and like just walk past, yeah. like that's. I mean, that's why they have police at these things because it's not illegal to picket. Um, but similar to acts of protesting, there are guidelines and laws that are established by the cities. You know, they don't want people to resort to violence. You're not supposed to carry guns. Um, there's a handful of other regulations against what a, a legal picketer can do versus somebody that's just going to get thrown in jail. Um, exactly. So they're generally nonviolent in nature. But, yeah, I imagine I imagine if I'm going to cross that picket line, I'm probably not going to fare well with my friends. No, work. very much so. <laughs> very much. You are so visible. <laughs> and some, something I do want to touch on here just briefly before we continue is what 
would be the big deal about crossing the picket line? Because I've seen some conversations be like, okay, but like if I'm like a writer and I'm not a part of the WGA, like who gives a shit? Like I, I, I'm getting paid. I'm not part of this union. Uh, so, you know, what is the huge deal with that? The big deal I found with it is that it, and, and I'm just kind of speaking generally for people I imagine that want to be taken seriously or be professional as a writer. If you want to quote unquote, make it in the industry, most of serious writers that have real accreditation to films, television, talk shows, um, online creative content, they're almost nine times out of 10 part of one of these unions because that's how they in turn get proper benefits and pension and they get uh, fair minimum rates in their contract negotiations. And if you're not in that, it's not to say that you can't get work, uh, but the security and the stability and protection that you're allotted is far, far less than if you had this. So mm -hmm. it's like, you don't have to be a part of it, but if you really want to, you know, again, kind of make it in the industry and, and, and be on a, on a serious level, then I think you're almost supposed to do it. At least that's how I look at it. Totally. Totally. I definitely agree. And it's also in the entertainment business, so much of what you do is based on networking. And if all of the writers that you want to be working working under and all of like the pre people that you want to be within their studio system, see you crossing the picket line, you are, you'll be seen as a bootlicker and that's it. And yeah. like they, they won't want to work with you because they'll just see you as somebody who doesn't care about the other people who are trying to make it in this industry. <clears throat> I did see now how much do you know about the the writer strikes in the past because this is not the first time this has happened. It's been some time, but it's not yeah. the first. So I was the one that I was listening to, and I didn't realize that it actually extended so far back because mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of what people have been focusing on has been the writer strike of 2007. Was that right? Two, or was it 2000? Yeah, 2007. No, 2007. So 16 okay, years 2007. ago. Yeah. I feel like the majority of people have been focusing on the writer's strike of 2007 because it was the most recent one. Makes sense. Right. But I've heard about the ones in the 80s, and I didn't realize that they people had been striking as early as the 60s yeah. with it. Yep. And honestly, I think there was some earlier, <clears throat> too, when the these guilds and these unions were first getting established back in, like, the 30s. Mm-hmm. It's 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 been a long history, you know. The 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 history that I looked at, I mean, I didn't go as far back as like the 30s, though I know that there has been stuff as as far back as then. Um, the ones where like they really started getting like mainstream attention to the masses was, I'd say, as early as the 70s. Mm -hmm. um, and generally, those strikes, uh, the ones in like the 70s and 80s, happen because similar to almost why they're happening now. Uh, the distribution model of entertainment is usually why. So like in yep. the 70s, there was big strikes over uh, cable and television because that previously was not a way that content was getting dispersed uh, prior to, you know, in like the 60s and 50s and whatnot. And then with 80s, uh, you had the <clears throat> the influx of home video in the market. So that was also something where you didn't have uh, WGA minimums on stuff. And so then people want to be fairly compensated for working in a fair distribution model and there wasn't guidelines for it. So they went on strike. So in that particular case, I'd say it wasn't because like they were, you know, getting treated unfairly. It's just purely because there is not, there is not a precedent. There is not a foundation exactly. for this. And so, uh, sometimes I found that these writers strikes or strikes in general for that matter happen because, there just is not a foundation to go off of for future generations that want to work in the industry. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want, 
Can I throw in real quick? Yeah, of the course. The 60s one too happened because of a changing, the changing way that TV was distributed as well, because you had reruns all of a sudden. So yeah. you're not being hired to to write, we'll say one season of I Love Lucy. That one season is going and going and going and going and going. And people yeah. are re realizing like this one-time payment, if you, if it's not like a, I see it one time and then it's gone, mm. it, that payment doesn't count for anything. You know, you need to pay me for the reruns that you're doing, which... I don't know things. Oh, and then there was also things of like Warner Brothers not really being honest about <clears> writing. <throat> you know, they would take a script and they would change words around, mm -hmm. slap a new name on it, and send it off. So. Yeah, and I think they're like actually some of the strike stuff that's happening now. I'm not saying it's the same, but there is concerns about deceptive writing practices. Is kind of how I would label it as. Uh, but we'll one. we'll 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 definitely get we'll into get that. that. Um, but the last time that this really happened was uh, back in 2007. So it's been 16 years officially since that began. Uh, and at that time, that one lasted 100 days. So mm -hmm. it, I don't know how long this one's going to last, but I can tell you this, and I'm sure most people kind of get a general sense of this, but I think it's good to spell it out, is just identifying what exactly does this strike mean? Like, like what does it actually mean to people um, not just in the entertainment industry, but of course the audiences at home. Uh, simply put, if I had to just uh, keep it simple, it just means big stops to all levels of industry production. Like you can't just think of this as being like movies, but like this can shut down sets. Um, it can also prevent other people uh, that are all part of a working uh, set community to not be able to do their jobs because of, you know, if you don't have writers, you can't, you know, you don't have a script to shoot. You can't, you cannot, literally go forward and do stuff um so i think it just has big stops and will likely lead to eventual delays cancellations of content reworkings of stuff um and then the bigger thing that i think that this means is that there's almost always going to be a change in the financial structure and compensation and benefits towards people that work in not just the the writers guild but this will have larger implications across how the industry is sort of laid out financially speaking cuz let's be, let's be real most of this stuff boils down to money right totally. i mean let's let, let's just be real i mean like it's, like yeah. like sure like I, there's probably strikes that happen that have to deal with like discrimination or racism and other bad things like that but this one at the end of the day a lot of it is money based but but not entirely but a lot of it's money exactly exactly and two with the work stoppages and like what this actually means for the industry currently it's all the way down you know yes it is the writers yes it is the studios but it's also the catering companies it's the transportation mm -hmm. companies and in places like la <clears throat> where so much of your economy is in some way connected to the entertainment industry it means la just really wide-ranging impacts to the entire system uh, sorry uh the, the you cut out there just a little bit that last part oh, sorry just saying that it's the <clears throat> this system is so interconnected that when one piece of it breaks off, yeah, the whole system is impacted. Yes. And something I've been seeing on this, and of course we're all, we're all curious about this because I'm recording this right now on uh, May 21st, 2023 strike is still happening. As far as I know, it'd be kind of, I'd be, I'd be great if I like looked at my phone. Yeah. It's <laughs> over. Wait. <laughs> um, but a lot of people, of course, want to know how long could this last? And I think as you listen on in the conversation, my answer would be a long time because I don't think it's at a good place right now. Uh, I definitely got into like the specifics of what the proposals were from mm, the WGA, right. what the other side was saying. There are some places where they are 
at like a, a a decent spot at not like exactly meeting in the middle but like they're like okay like there's some room for wiggle and then there's just areas where they're just completely way off and like i i don't see any i don't see either side budging on certain key issues of the strike um so my guess honestly is like this this i think could actually be longer than the 107 and my speculate my well, my speculation for that is because, honestly, of streaming. Because back then, streaming was around, but it was like a, it was like in its infancy. It's it was a completely different model. There's so many more uh, avenues for it now, um, especially like if you talk about TV. Uh, the model of television has drastically changed. You no longer have 20, 25 episode series orders from studios. It's now reduced down to like six to maybe 12 episodes. So there's less uh, mm-hmm. guaranteed work on certain things. So the, the the model's different. And then streaming companies also as a whole, not to ramble too much, but uh, they're very shady in that they oh, don't share. They, they will not share like their viewership numbers. It's also tricky, financially speaking, to figure out how their profit margins kind of work out on stuff by subscriber bases and things. So based off all of that, and then just the general state of a recovering entertainment economy from COVID. um, Yeah. I I don't see this one ending uh, soon. I I, I hope it doesn't go on forever. And then the thing that people are, are speculating on, and I, I think it would be unprecedented if it happens is if other unions go on strike with the wga because that would be unheard of basically it's usually like one at a time with these things if you were to see like the dga which is the directors guilds of america or the sag uh or any of these other ones join in i mean you would have like a, a damn near complete halt or massive overhaul on everything and it would just it's like hard to fathom it going that far so i hope it doesn't but it's mm-hmm. i don't think this is gonna end anytime soon no, absolutely not. And I don't remember if it was the Writers Guild or if it was <clears throat> SAG. I don't remember. At one point in the striking history, one of them lasted five months. You yeah. know, so it's it's not unprecedented for these strikes to last a super long time. And you know, especially if demi- demands are being met, and I don't know the specific logistics of how often they're ma- they're meeting and trying to negotiate yeah. out, <clears throat> and that that could contribute to it too. You know, who's to say? That's the but interesting. But if no one wants to budge, you know, it's just gonna that much longer. I I didn't actually get that far into the into the research for how the actual negotiations play out, but I would find that to be interesting because a place like the WGA, the place that they are striking against, which for the record is the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, so that's another uh, union. Um, but these unions are big. I mean, like they're comprised of thousands of people. They have big boards. They have leadership. I, I don't think it's as simple as just one person sits across from another and they're like, okay, well, we want this and (laughs) and we want this. It's like, um, and let's, I don't even know if these people are meeting in person for all I know, this could be just like tons of emails going back and forth. They could have zooms, uh, especially, Again, with this one, there's there's multiple segments of the union. Again, being east east and west coast representation, like this is this is tricky. Uh, be very be very curious to hear how it goes, and I'm sure some of it would probably bore me to tears because negotiations are not the most riveting thing in the world. Yeah, you bring in lawyers in there, and they're just lawyering, lawyering, lawyering it up, lawyering it um, up. So I got to I got to make clear too what exactly is the WGA. So I want to give some context into who these people are and have people kind of get a general sense of what it is they do and why people are a part of it. So 
WGA is Writers Guild of America. And I very much like to spell out acronyms because one of my pet peeves, I, I feel like I complained about this actually the last time I saw you just randomly. Um, I am not a fan of acronyms. No. If I if I work as part of the industry, like if I'm like the, doing it day in, day out, fine. I might abbreviate it. But yeah. for the most part, you, it's really hard to keep track of it all. Just take the extra two seconds and spell it out. And I think it goes a long way, but that's just me complaining about acronyms. Right there with you. I feel like it's a marketing thing too, because the people, you're a marketer, know that. They yes. get into meetings and they're like, you know, the RQI and the <laughs> blah, 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 blah. They just, they love their little acronyms and they just throw them out constantly. And it's so easy to just get lost. So yeah. note to all your listeners, it's not dumb to ask someone to spell out an acronym. Or for that matter, just if you don't know something, it's okay to say you don't know. Exactly. We all need to be told that from time to time. Yes. No one's going to be like this idiot over here. They're going to be like, thank you. I was wondering the same thing. Mm -hmm. So Writers Guild of America, it's a labor union that is comprised of thousands of writers. I think it's as much as like 10 to 12,000. We'll call it in that Mm -hmm. ballpark. And these are writers who all are writing content for your TV shows movies um of course documentaries the news they write programs for animation uh internet media so some people even you know professional youtube content creators if they have enough clout and you know notoriety and they get money they probably are a part of it too um and as i said before anybody that's comprised in the wga that is a writer they are likely serious about the profession of writing and want to make a livable wage doing it. So that is also why they uh, put themselves in the union is so that they have some protection and rights. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's a little scary to be just a hundred percent purely freelance and have nobody backing you on, uh, on these creative projects. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, I think it's also important to say what the WG actually does Like, you know, it's not just like, yeah, we're a bunch of writers and like we hang out, like we have dinner together, like go writing. Um, WGA has people in there that their purpose is to do negotiations for the studios and on these projects. So they'll administer the contracts that protect the economic rights of its members. So that would mean higher wages, higher benefits. Sometimes improving workplace conditions if there have been times where a production company or something has, you know, had really shitty sets that aren't safe and things like that. Uh, they will help out with that as well. They also will put in um, strict contracts for what can go on in the writer's room, things that aren't allowed in there. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of rules and things that they administer, but it is important stuff that they do. They also will put on uh, programs, they put on events, seminars on issues of uh, interest to writers. So they'll do like basically education for people that are coming up as writers or even people that have been doing it for a while that just need a place to network and get outside of their box. And as I said before, they're representative of both of both the WJ West and East uh, being the West and East Coast. So that in a nutshell is WGA. Beautiful. I did have a question for you. I don't know if you found it in your research, but what is the process to get into the WGA? I'm sure you have to prove employment to some regard, if, especially if it's like the news, late night, whatever. But is there like a like a form, you know, like a Google Doc that they're like, add me, you know? 
Yeah, I I didn't get as far as to research how you actually join it. I know, of course, they have websites. Um, I should actually link those in the description of this episode. So you can visit the websites on there. There definitely is like an application that you have to fill out. I think it's, and I might be mistaken, but I feel like it's similar to like if you were requesting membership in the Academy. I think you have to get reference from somebody that's currently on the WGA or, again, like if your job is something that merits some of those specific qualifications to be a part of it, then you can join it. But I don't know the actual like step-by-step process of how okay. you get into it. I do know, I know a few people that are actually on it, like a, like really? a couple. Yeah, That's like cool. I, I know at least two two people I could say within certainty, <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I think nice. anyway, uh, that are actually in it. But yeah, it's it's a process and I, I think you got to pay like a, I think I'm there's sure like there's an dues. annual due yeah. or something like that. Um. Something something else though too is like why you know what are the benefits of being a part of this? I I talked about it just purely from getting fair contract negotiations and health and things, but to be more specific, you get minimums for salary, and studios will put out minimum levels on different types of projects. Some some of it has to do just purely based on is it like a movie. Is it something with like a bunch of episodes? Is it something's where they need to have writers on set to be like script supervisors to ensure continuity, um, you know, script editors and things like that. Uh, so there's various different levels on that, but by being part of the WGA, you're allowed to have guaranteed minimums on specific kinds of work, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also credit protection because there are still to this day plagiarizers and people that will bastardize and, and take your work. Uh, so they are very big on copyright law over there and making sure that if you put your name behind something, you are getting the proper credit for it. Uh, and then on the back end, and I know you talked about this, you get those residuals, otherwise mm-hmm. known as royalties. And that's something I had to look up too because people hear that a lot and it's like, what the, well, what the hell's a residual? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, residual, like I said, it's uh, it's another word for royalty, but it's essentially a payment that a writer or another person could receive because royalties are not just to the writers. They go to a handful of different people on the cast and crew. But you get it essentially if a show is successful. And the way that a studio would deem it uh, being successful is based on the amount of showings it has, the amount of locations it's being put out at. We talked about reruns. So if it's television, uh, even broadcast television still has reruns and there is still money to be made in that market. So Mm -hmm. from that, uh, if there's stuff where there's ads that are going on your content, you can sometimes get a cut from those. Um, but it's also sort of subjective too to determine what exactly is success as far as residuals go. Uh, it's very different, but especially between TV and uh, and movies. But mm-hmm. that's what that is. And then you also get uh, healthcare and guaranteed pension for your employment as being a writer on a project, mm-hmm. which is good. So. Yes, lots of, lots of benefits to being in to being a kind of a protected player is the only word that I can think of like within that protective bubble. Yeah. And I think too, like people sometimes need to remember that if you're a writer, it's never like you're, you're lucky if you even get like a year of employment and that, that might be even be wishful thinking because some of these things purely feel like gig work where it's like, like you get like five weeks of work and you know, maybe you don't even get allowed to do like rewrites on a show. Like you're just allowed to pencil something up and and get it over to the producers, and then you're out of there. Like they they might not even keep you around. Um, so that being said, it's like if you put yourself in your in their shoes, 
would you really want to be, you know, let's say even living out in LA and you're going to get married and have like a baby and you're going to get a mortgage and you have to sleep at night knowing that, okay, well I got work for another two weeks and then I got a couple other stuff lined up, but then then I don't don't really know like what I'm going to do. So I think people need to understand that these, these people that do this, I mean, like they, they aren't just writing for one project. They write for several things at a time. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's definitely full time work to do this stuff. Exactly. Um, and yeah, you need you need to have certain protections in order to to do that sustainably. Exactly. And I was listening to you know people talking about this, hearing about it, and it's almost like, and it's not to say that these people can't be members of the WGA too, but it's it almost creates a certain kind of person that can handle Mm -hmm. it you know your nepo babies i guess for lack of a better term people who are have a safety net underneath them and are protected with enough financial compensation outside of writing that they can focus on writing and they don't have that kind of undercurrent of fear of like shit i got this project now but you know the project after the next one yeah. Who's to say, you know, they, they, they have that covered. So you're going yeah. to kind of lose, and maybe we're getting ahead of this, but mm-hmm. we're, we're losing some of the people who like don't have the luxury of just committing full time to, to writing as it stands now. Well, and I think people need to remember as well that how, how do these people get these jobs? Right. Do you yeah. think the writer is always necessarily just sitting around, like go, going through their, their contacts or emailing people? No, like that's no, what they have. That's not. what they have. That's what they have an agent for. That's what they have a publicist for. That's why they also have people on this because they also secure in jobs. They find the gigs for people uh, because w- what do we want the best writers to be able to do? We want them to be able to focus on the content, right? Exactly. We want them to not be distracted by some of these other things. We want them to do what they are naturally good at in most cases for the ones that do it very well. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't get succession. Without the writers, Breaking exactly. Bad doesn't happen without it. Um, I mean, again, like you just don't get you don't get the content with without the writers. So I mean, I absolutely understand that front of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so did you know how many other entertainment unions there are, Sophia? I I mean, I didn't put together a list of all of them because it would we'd be there for a while. But no, I I heard about a few again in the podcast that I was listening to. Um, which I would like to shout out, Bingetopia. It is a fantastic, they did a fantastic episode where they talked to a film studies professor from UCLA, gave a fantastic historical context, talked about the nature of creative labor is what she called it. Just wanted to shout that out. Um, great episode. But um, where were we going with this? Well, we're talking about the all the different guilds yes. and unions. So many. They... You hinted at it with like directors, but it's, you know, screenwriters, it's mm-hmm. screen actors, it's writers in general. I'm sure there's unions all the way down when it comes to costuming and makeup and yep. everybody like that. Actually, that's a pretty good summation of it because it's almost safe to assume that for what specific sector of the film industry that you're in. So if it was costumes, there's likely a, a union. Same mm-hmm. for like cinematographers or set decorators or editors. Uh, there's guilds or unions or groups for all these things or special interest groups, as some would say. Um, the ones that are probably the biggest that come to mind for people that pay attention to this stuff 
you have the Directors Guild of America, costume designers, Screen Actors Guild, SAG. A lot of people are familiar with that. Um, then for like the TV side of things, you have the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. That one's actually oh. one of the uh, older ones. So there's a lot of like, you know, old like the I Love Lucy was probably a part of that. Yep. Um, you have the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, which is who the writers are currently on strike against right now. Uh, Producers Guild of America, that's another really big one. And then another one that I actually thought to give shout out to, because I don't think people think about this as well, is the in, uh, the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. Because let's not forget yes. about the people that are on Broadway and the people that do all that, because that's an entirely other side of entertainment that also, guess what? It requires writers and it requires mm -hmm. a lot of people to make that happen as well. There was a whole thing with the Tony Awards. I don't, uh, again, I don't care about musicals. And so I don't know if the Tony Awards have happened already or if they're coming up, but it was a whole situation that they were like, are we going to be able to have this, this yeah. like presentation of the awards because we don't have people to write it? Yes. Um, I was, I mean, I would say right now, probably, probably not. They, it sounded like they came to a, an agreement where they have like an abridged situation. I don't know mm. what abridged actually means when it, in this context, Yes, but it is happening just very much not up on that same track as it once was. Mm -hmm. So do you know who the WGA is striking against? You just said it and I'll be real honest. Okay. I forgot already. <laughs> It's okay. Uh, just because I said the Acronym. Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, I, I, yes. you still have to clarify what exactly that is. That's just yes. a name. I don't know what that means. The general person does not know what that means. No, no. Because <laughs> so, truthfully, I don't know what a producer does. They slap their name on things is what it feels like. The, I, I feel like that that's a that's a cliche for like the big ones. So like uh, Steven Spielberg, for instance, like he is a quote unquote producer of a lot of things, but he's got enough money and clout that sometimes it is purely just, I throw my name and a paycheck onto people to do this, but it's like oh, very okay. little beyond that. There, there are some more, I'd say like an independent film, especially that are uh, very scrappy, as I say. So like they do everything from making sure people get fed on set, that people are uh, being on time with uh, set, uh, set shoots or, you know, shooting on set, making yep. sure that basically we're following schedule and coordination, things like that. They, 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 they do a lot, uh, but some are just basically here's, here's some money and put my name on it, please. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I heard that this movie was happening. <laughs> but the, so I got to talk about the WGA and who they're striking against. So again, it's the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. Now, what that actually means is these are the people that major studio systems are a part of as a union. So Universal, um, like Disney, HBO, Paramount, Warner Brothers, uh, I mean, the list kind of goes on, but most any serious studio in there is likely a part of this. And so this is the union that they go to to negotiate with the writers, negotiate with other sectors of the um, unions across the entertainment industry. So that's sort of like the studio's voice and representation in these types of matters. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. N now, this is why they're striking. Okay. Um, now, to be clear on this, they... The WGA and this guild, uh, excuse me, this union I just mentioned, the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, going forward, I'll probably try to say AM, 
ETP because it is a lot to kind of say that it's every like time. All right. Yeah, but I might, and maybe I'll just spell it out because I did just, I don't want to. Whatever you want to do. You can yeah, be like the, the, the producer's alliance. Yes, I could do, I could say something like yeah. that. So I'm not sure if everyone's aware of this, but every three years, the East and West branches of the WGA, they will meet with the AMPTP to negotiate a new contract with the major Hollywood studios. So this is actually a regular standing appointment that they have. It is not abnormal for them to renegotiate the contracts every couple of years, being three, four specifics, okay? So that being said, in this most recent round, so this would have taken place about six weeks or so before the writer's strike officially began, which I want to say that was May 1st. My timeline could be a little bit off, but it's within the last couple that of weeks. That's about right, yeah. Um, so they, being the WGA, they made claims that in recent years, their compensation has overall been taking a serious hit uh, with several of the WGA leaders saying that the current system is broken, for lack of a better word, and that writing as a profession is in stake unless these ongoing negotiations are successful. And so, <clears throat> so that being said, the asks that the WJ, the WGA has in this round of negotiations is much more steep than these previous rounds that they've done before, which I think is in large part why there's this kind of ground to a halt thing coming because they're asking for a lot more money than what is typically expected of writers. Uh, to be specific, I did pull an actual number on here. If the WGA had their way, like right now, or at least the status of what I read on this was as of May 1st, they would be getting on an annual basis $429 million more million per year for writers that are in this guild. Okay. Whoa. Which is now, huge. Right. Now, and, and then, I mean, that money's, again, like you, it's not just into the salary, it's into the, the contracts, the benefits. Like there's a whole lot that that money goes into. And, and mm -hmm. obviously it would take time to generate all that. But that's what the WGA, in a sense, is at least asking on the money-wise side. Um, <clears throat> so with that being said, it's just a, a, a much steeper ask, I think. Um, mm -hmm. So that's part of why I think the the these two unions are basically coming out ahead. But then there's also the weirder sides of this strike that I don't think either side has like a full, full footing in. I'll just put it to you that way. So... What do you know, so uh, Sophia? What do you know about the AI issue in this strike? Because yeah, that's that's one of the weird sides of those. Yeah. See, it feels like in a lot of explanations of this strike, either the AI stuff is only touched on very briefly, or it's not even discussed at all, yeah. because it <clears throat> is it is very much like a. So, like looking back at the different strikes of the past. A lot of the strikes, it was a very concrete thing that they were striking against, whether it was reruns, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. It's like, I can see how this is happening and how this is directly affecting my work as a writer. When it comes to the AI stuff, it's very much like a, this is how I think it might affect us as a writer. I don't know yes. if it's currently in practice at all. It might be. It is. It, it is. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's like from my research i would not say that it's widespread in practice but mm -hmm. it is definitely in use in limited capacity right now for sure but it definitely has the implications which most of the wga is concerned about as you said of like what this could mean what it could be it's it's not like they can point to <clears throat> which i'm sure is a huge sticking point when it comes to mm -hmm. those negotiations they can't point to oh my job as you know staff writer z at 
Jimmy Fallon is directly mm. being affected by the presence of ChatGPT or whoever. Right. So, which I, I, say, actually, I don't know a ton about the AI aspect of it all. Because okay, it but is, you so you knew but you knew what ChatGPT was. I oh. had no I, I had no idea what that was actually. I really? I was no I was actually at a birthday party uh, a couple weeks ago and we were in the backyard and people were grilling stuff and uh, one of them was mentioning that like they were looking for a new job and they're just like oh yeah I'm using ChatGPT right now to make like like cover letters and I was like what like ChatGPT Chat like what is yeah. this and they kind of broke it down to me at least in the context of like it would help you if you were looking for a job you could you know have this thing kind of write you up um cover letters and stuff so that you're not having to to do that but then i guess you can use it for a lot more applications beyond just that so but i guess it's relatively new to me i mean what do you know about that so actually good question so for the listeners out there my day job is working as a content as a copywriter at a content marketing agency which basically just means i write for magazines articles basically mm -hmm. anything that our clients want written i'm probably writing it we it's in very limited capacity right now, but we actually had a whole seminar with the, the content team at our agency to talk about this program called Jasper, which is essentially just an offshoot of ChatGPT. It's the same thing. But Jasper has all of these different programs that you can use where it's, you know, I need an Instagram caption. I need um, an article written about these things. And it offers you different places to put in like... I need it to, I need this ad for a home design company. Um, I need it to be upbeat in tone. I need it to be about 500 words. I need it to be in, have a bullet point section, whatever. And then you can include links in there of, this is kind of the general information that we want to include. And it'll spit out a thing for you. So hmm. basically our whole seminar at work was to talk about like, what does this actually mean in terms of the marketplace of content marketing in particular mm -hmm. how can we as a company you know introduce it in some to, some of our practices does it make sense for us to introduce it into some of our practices how can we take this technology that clearly isn't going away and kind of integrate it a little bit um i'm sure that there's a ton of little tiny details when it comes to ai that i haven't i don't fully know i like i know that i don't fully know but mm -hmm. have definitely started to see it come up a little bit within my job in particular and the way that people are trying to harness it a little bit but <clears throat> not to lie it's scary <laughs> like as someone who could just go hands off and be like all right this jasper thing is going to write this magazine article it's scary yeah. to be like <clears throat> But I'm here. Please the pay whole, me as a person. The, the whole conversation around AI, specifically in the use of writing, is uh, a beast in and of itself. Uh, there's so many thought, uh, thought think pieces out there and video essays and, and things like that. I, I found a ton when I was looking at it on the subject. Um, the, the, the concern that you outlined to me is interesting of like it being lightly incorporated or yeah. put in a bit or put into practices and i think it's like well how do you make that light because exactly. it's like kind of like once it gets its foothold in and if it's one of those things where the people that write the, the paychecks they see okay well i'm just looking at this purely as a numbers game and they're like if this thing is taking you know only 20 minutes to put up something and this person takes two hours to do this well i'm a numbers person so all i give a shit about is the 20 minutes like they what? want what's less and i know ai is quite sophisticated it's only going to get more sophisticated but and and maybe i'll sound foolish on this i don't know if the system would ever be able to 
put in a put in nuance or edge or put in a real personality and voice that is not uh, unmistakable from a human. Uh, exactly. I, I I don't know if it would ever get there, but even even if it did, even if it did, the people, as you said, that that do this, they like doing this. They they like they're good at it. You don't like it's like just because something can do it, should it do it in, in exactly. this in this in this case. Exactly. And the thing is, too, that we kind of learned as we were going through the software is that it's definitely not a perfect system. And maybe that's just Mm -hmm. a result of the technology still being in its infancy. But it's not a perfect system because, one, AI is trawling the Internet to get the information that it needs to create and produce something for you. Mm -hmm. It's plagiarism. You know, we looked through and they kind of showed how they did an example, one of off of an an existing company and everything like that. And there were sentences, some of them word for word that were pulled from existing materials that they had. Mm. If it's all kind of within the company's proprietary system, you know, each company could decide if they want to have that in there. But you still have the problem of this is plagiarism. You know, you're pulling from somewhere else. And two, it required a heavy hand to edit it, not just for the plagiarism, but because like you said, it doesn't, you can tell when something is written by an AI and when something is written by a person. So it, like for the, all of the people who are like, oh yeah, you know, I'm going to cut corners, reduce our overall costs Mm -hmm. by getting rid of these writers to replace them with AI. You're going to have a clunky product. It's not going to be this smooth, Mm -hmm. well-written piece by a human being who is able to, like you said, understand those nuances, or in the case of content marketing, understand brand voice, Mm -hmm. you know, how are we taking in all these things that we know kind of intrinsically as a person and are able to put on the page AI at this stage of the game isn't able to do that well i think and and it seems like most the like the writers <clears throat> excuse me the the writers opinions on this is that there there seems to be some <clears throat> that are at least relatively understanding if you will or kind of understand like a very light usage being like let's say a writer has a like second draft of a script that they've punched up but they're just kind of struggling taking it across the finish line and they maybe put it through one of these programs and maybe it just helps get their grammar to be more correct or some of the pacing issues gets a little uh sorted out from it and structurally it's just more sound after doing it now you could argue like okay like that's that's not necessarily a a bad thing if you're just kind of using it as like an assist tool and not using it as like the main bread and butter it's like okay like that would save time and headache and you know it it can be tedious to go through and punctuate something and you know edit something for copy um but then again at the same time when it comes to let's again go back to the money side of it the payout you're going to constantly have uh people that work on these projects that'll argue the point of being like well how much of that was really you and how much of that is really the AI and then exactly. it becomes a freaking nightmare to negotiate the contracts on this when you allow the usage of this technology in there in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I guess if if it was me at the table right now that had a decision in this, I would want to know very full well <clears throat> what the capabilities fully look like on this thing. Um, is the developer trying to like take it to another place or they're going to be like new iterations of it? Uh, but I would, I think above all myself, want to make sure that my employees in this case, if I'm talking, being the boss of a writer, I would want to make sure that they have coverage, that they have say, that they have a voice and skin in the game for it. Because otherwise, why have them at all? If I'm just going to have AI kind of do everything in the first place, like I, I want to have 
a community and I want to, I want to have people have good jobs and livelihoods. I don't want to take jobs away from people. And, and writing is something that is so intrinsically creative. Um, I, I, I don't like the idea. It just leaves a bad taste in my mouth, leaving the idea of that to, um, to a freaking computer. I mean, what is this like? Like, I don't want sky Skynet taking over. Like, yeah, that. exactly. It's, there was a quote that came up in the podcast that I referenced earlier where, and I don't remember his name, but some writer in relation to what a previous strike was like, you know, it can't be that damn hard, you know, to be a writer. You should put one word in front of the other. Uh Right. And then someone was like, no, it's a matter of putting the right word in front of another, you know? So that's, which again, my opinion, only a human can do that, can understand yeah. like, this is the next step. This is the next thing. This is how I can create something that is evocative and something that is meaningful yeah. and resonates with people. And it's just, it's just so hard to say with AI because it is so relative mm-hmm. and we don't have those boundaries of this is the full capabilities because it's still growing and it's still going to change. And even if you put yeah. up those boundaries with the WGA, <clears throat> that technology can still grow and evolve. And it's just kind of scary to think about like how little we know and how and what to do with that. I just think right now, I mean, and, and I'm definitely going to be talking about this. We, uh, <clears throat> I'll definitely be talking about this with you, which is the specific asks that both sides have. Mm-hmm. I'm on the writer's side on this one. I will, I can yeah. definitely, I can definitely put my opinion on that. I totally get where their concern is for this. Uh, I think the the asks that they are asking for that are pretty reasonable, uh, yeah. and that the other place, the uh, producers for the studios, uh, they're kind of being terrible. It, it oh, seems 100%. like for me, like I'll I'll just yeah I'll be direct on that. They're they're it's kind of crazy to me that they're not even being open to the table to talk about this. But yeah. Anyways, mm-hmm. moving on from the AI and the scariness of that, uh, which this podcast, by the way, I'm not going to use AI to produce that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We've both been AI this whole time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, this isn't this convincing? You, you couldn't even tell. This is completely generated. It's like, I, I think of like uh, James Earl Jones, because uh, they used AI for his voice in the Obi-Wan oh. series. I mean, Interesting. I mean, Darth Vader's getting old. Yeah. He's no, no. James Earl Jones is still alive. He is. Oh, okay. Let That's me good. actually. Well, let me let me see now. Just squirrel <laughs> moment for a second. James, I hope he's not. I don't think he's gone. God, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be terrible. No, no. He's still around. He's 92 Ooh, though. Still let's 92. Go. But but that's an interesting point because uh, you could watch that. I mean, it's it's pretty convincing. Like you you could have fooled me that that was not really James Earl Jones, but. Yeah. I mean, they've done it visually. Like you had, what's it, the Irishman? <laughs> they had the Irishman uh, and Robert De Niro's yeah. horrific age, like regression. <laughs> I for Michael, what's his face? The uh, he's got the long white hair, uh, short hair. Um, Wolf of Wall Street, beautiful wife. Um, Why am I drawing? Attra- he was in Fatal Attraction. Um, oh, Joshua Jackson, like that guy. No, the, oh, Michael Douglas. Michael, Michael Douglas. Douglas. Michael oh, Douglas. for like Ant Man movies, right? Yeah, they've definitely. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. All yeah. that to say, a lot of like visual age regression with, I'm sure AI, but 
Well, the new Indiana Jones is going to have the uh, digital de-age. And it sounds like, actually, because it, it had the screening over in Cannes, the film fest is going on right now. Yeah. I, I That's a bucket list thing. I desperately wish. Like, I know I'd Go probably, like, I would probably groan a little bit at the pretension, at the pretentiousness of Cannes. Like, I mean, not to spit on its history or its people. I mean, like, there's some great, talented <laughs> artists. But, I mean, I'm sure I'd go there and, like, listen to the French presenter speak and just be like, this is the golden ball. <laughs> and I just be like, uh, okay. Well, and then like, like I'm okay. I got, I'm turning this into a little bit of a tirade on the on the film fest thing. Uh, do it, do it. What is with the what is with the freaking like when they're just like it's an eleven minute standing ovation? Like, thank you, thank you. I'm sorry oh if God. I was. If I was one of the actors and someone claps for me for 20 I'd get uncomfortable minutes, after a while. Kill me. Kill me. Take the award and just bah. Because I ca- that would be so terrible. Yeah. Also, what are you proving? That it's that good? It just seems like, especially now when people like keep reporting on the fact that the yeah. uh, the applauses were so long. Now it's like a game to them. Yeah, it, like, it's like Ooh. a competition. It's like, it's like they got a seven minute one and not a five minute one. Oh my God. I gotta get an 11. And it's just like, this is so ridiculous. Oh my God. I can't believe we're uh, like making this part the competition too. Yeah. embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, I fully like respect that they are doing the standing ovations and that they are okay. maybe clapping longer than the average one because it's so industry and art specific crowd. I get that. But I mean, I heard one, I think actually, let me look this up quick. And then I, I swear to God, we're going to continue. Cause the only reason I even brought this up is to say that Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford, yep. they, the, a report came from can saying that, uh, there's a significant prologue, uh, prologue, uh, sequence in the movie that I think it's like 40 minutes of him being de-aged. So Good it's like Lord. a fair amount a fair amount of the runtime of, you know, dots on Harrison Ford's face yeah. making him look like he's, you know, 30 years younger. But maybe they should have taken longest, that as a sign that well, they didn't need another goddamn Indiana Jones movie. Longest standing ovation can't. Oh. I don't want to know. I want to know. Oh, my God. Tell me. Yeah, take a tell guess. Me. Take a guess. An hour. <laughs> No, no. Oh, that no. would be crazy. <laughs> I mean that that would that would be bonkers. Oh, <laughs> uh, was it? I you feel like it has more. to be at least at least half an hour. No, uh, okay, actually, no, no. Oh, really? Oh, okay. No, I'm so sorry. it's not it's not it's not that. Bad. I mean, I don't know. I'm saying it's not that bad. So apparently, it was for Pan's Labyrinth, the Guillermo del Toro oh. movie, and oh, it was okay. it was 22 minutes of nonstop clapping for 22 minutes Guillermo del Toro is old and they make you stand the whole time so he was just standing there let the man sit down they need it to be like baseball where it's like new now with baseball where it's like you got the the pitch clock applause clock you know play here's what uh the the last the last thing I'll say on this before getting back into the conversation is look I haven't been there for all I know, maybe I go there. I would be so moved like, to see like the nonstop clapping, and like I would leave it and be like, "Oh, I get it." But yeah. I'm not there. Probably won't be there, and I just see clapping for 20 minutes, and I'm like, "I, I just like, wh- I just don't get it." 
I just yeah. I just don't get it. But yeah. and and in, in any case, let, let's continue. In any case, in any case, you should go to Toronto or Park City at some point. I I would I would love to. I'm actually looking at uh, just more local film studio or not film studios, uh, film festivals to go to with my podcast because I did it for the Cedar Rapids Film Festival. Iowa has a few other film festivals happening this fall, so fingers crossed fingers that I crossed. can kind of do some uh somewhat of a i guess you could call like a podcast pr move sort of because i well because i i liked what i did before at it where i talked with the artists there i i like promoting their stuff and and learning about them but at the same time i'm putting myself out there too and building the brand so the hell with it i'd be lying if i'm like there's not a shameless marketing plug for myself like yeah. come on sorry I, I'm, I'm working at this yeah. uh Okay, so anyway. I want to want to get back to moving past AI. We talked about the obnoxious clapping, uh, fun yep. fun moment there. Uh, <laughs> but the streaming issue, yes, we got we got to talk about this briefly as well because going back to when we were talking about how striking sometimes happens because of the distribution model changing and writers wanting to make sure they're fairly compensated. Um, talk about in the seventies, it was over cable eighties home video. I'm sure DVDs at one point played into an effect as well. I don't really know. Um, but the streaming issue is interesting because the, the WGA's point of view, it sort of seems like right now is, is kind of two points. I boiled it down to is one is that the work that's done on these programs is not as near as near secure as traditional network television jobs are because the duration's far less. And they also pay a lot worse because in large part due to, I'd say like the big influx of content that now is living there. And there are so many competing uh, platforms out there that it kind of devalues, unfortunately, the work of writers on there because it is so easy now to produce content and just kind of throw it out into the wind and see what it goes. But then the bigger the bigger question, and even one I still don't fully know, but I'd love to hear your opinion, is the shady numbers on it. Because the streaming platforms yeah. like Amazon Prime and Netflix, good luck figuring out how many people actually watch the stuff. They won't share. How much money uh, they get from it. So when you play on the residual side, which is one of the ways writers also make a lot of payout on their projects, well, how do you really compensate fairly on that if you don't? really know for a fact how well your program's actually playing uh so i guess my question to you why hide these numbers from a of course the people the writers of course maybe just to hide money from them i guess it's a selfish studio move but then why like the masses as a whole because like yeah. and i'll shut up here in a second but like it's kind of like with the traditional box office for a theater most anybody knows that like when a movie, any movie comes out into the theater and you look opening weekend, you can see right then and there, this is how much it made domestic. This is how much it made globally. Boom. Yep. The numbers yep. are right there, black and white. Why can that not similarly be done for streamers? And I'm sure it's complicated. Yeah. In my head. Okay. So for context, I love The Bachelor. I love The Bachelor. I'm obsessed with, I'm obsessed with it. Um, and there's a podcast that I listen to that uh, has drugged me further into this like pit of obsession about it. And they talk a lot about how um, broadcast TV is dying. Like people aren't watching traditional broadcasted shows. They are going to streaming platforms. And they talk about how like The Bachelor is swept up in that. You know, numbers have been plummeting for years and years and years for shows like The Bachelor. But obviously those numbers don't account for things like Hulu watches, YouTube TV watches, everything like that. So in my head, 
it makes me think that we'll, we'll use Hulu in this example for The Bachelor. Hulu doesn't want to share the fact that like maybe you have a ton of people who are watching The Bachelor the next day. They don't want to share that because in a way it's like you almost want those network TVs to kind of go by the wayside so that people then continue to migrate to the Hulu, the Netflix, the Paramount Pluses. You don't, you know, sure you might need them for the content that those studios produces, but if they plummet far enough, those studios can buy those shows off of them, produce them in-house within the streaming platform, and continue to create more money because they know that they have the viewers. They know that they continue to have a profitable show. They just need, they just don't want the networks to know that. Maybe there's more behind the curtain a little bit and they just aren't sharing it with people, but in my head, it's purely a numbers game, and mm. they want to have their propri proprietary <clears throat> models and scales and everything like that. And they yeah. want to they want to get rid of the other competitors that are in their fields. In this case, I didn't I didn't actually even think about it from like that kind of cutthroat mentality of just you know if we're kind of strategic about the numbers we share and don't share, um, we can sort of project. Uh, confidence like in something that maybe doesn't even have it there and you can kind of like back it's 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 very shady very like wall streety like you know like you're kind of pumping up stock as they say yeah um it, it does yeah. and that's and, and who's to say maybe that's that's kind of a cynical approach to it but these companies well, have there's absolutely otherwise <laughs> well and they're and you know, th this is something that I don't think a lot of people talk about in the context of of entertainment on this um Hang on, I'm making sure that the timer... I, I don't think this will just stop I recording. I, no. no, I don't think it's like Zoom. If, if there's an interruption, I'll, I'll figure it out. But nice. um, I don't know. I, I am such a... I kind of am like the more the merrier with content creators and people in art. Like I... It, it, I, I talk about this actually like with my own podcast and, and getting it to be successful and have other podcasts or, you know, artists get successful simultaneously. So for instance... I don't see any harm whatsoever if I was like on an episode and I just started rallying off like 10 different things that I really like. And I just told people like, hey, go on this, check it out, or even going on somebody's uh, show or something like that and giving them some love. And then they in turn to me reciprocate and do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of more my mindset as an artist because I, I guess I just called myself an artist, but I think to an extent okay. I am and in an extent. Um but I want other artists to thrive. And I guess me, myself, I'm just trying to get at, I don't have like the cutthroat business mentality where it's like, you know, well, we're struggling for ratings right now. Who's getting our ratings right now? Well, it's this thing. Well, what can we do to end them? Like, exactly. I, I, and I, and the thing is though, is that I'm sure these people are out there and I don't want to be like naive and act like they're not there and also not be naive and act like we don't need them sometimes too. Yeah. We yeah. need people that are aggressive sometimes and will push to be above a crowd because then otherwise, if everybody's truly on the same playing field for things, then, you know, things will not stand out from each other. And then, you know, the, uh, what, what am I trying to say? It's like the, you want the, the, the best to make it to the top. I mean, like that's, that's what you want. And if everybody's a little too nice and kind of like playing around, then I, I don't know if that happens. So it's just yeah. so fundamentally couched in capitalism at the end of the day of just money. how can it, yeah, exactly. Money is driving this. How can my business do it? And I think, I don't know. I think the fact that 
that's not your first thought of, you know, these companies no. are trying to desecrate these other companies is just because you're a good person and are, are <laughs> yeah. being like, I'm going to ruin every other podcast that's ever existed. Watch no. your back, you know? Yeah. No, I just like, cause to, to me also there's, there's a strength in numbers. It's kind of like why people join a, a union or a guild. Yeah. I, I mean, cause like for me, I feel like I'm much more effective as a content creator and an artist. If I am, helping to go out of my way to build up other people. They in turn want to build me. I learn more by being around their worlds as well. So then that only influences me to make better content myself. So mm -hmm. I don't see any real downside in it. The only time I would is again, yeah, truly from the money side, because if I had to maybe differentiate my content a little bit, like, or like how I make money. So maybe I'm better at doing ad reads or I'm better at the merchandise and my logistics system or like behind the business model. Like my business model is better than some other content creators or artists. Then that's fine. Like I, yeah. I still feel like I can do that without screwing somebody else over, but exactly. Exactly. I, I don't know. Yeah, I think the creativity aspect is important of like, yeah, how can you differentiate yourself and how can you be on the cutting edge and bring innovation to this industry? Because, yeah, there are other, you know, other movie podcasts. There's a, there's a lot of them. But Wait, in my head, but wait there's other people that, that are doing something like this? I, I don't. It's, it's not just me? Shocking to report. Shocking to report. Oh, my God. No! <laughs> but in my head, a rising tide lifts all boats. And it's just like, yeah, it it's ugly to be like, just kidding. I'm going to sink that boat. So, who's to say? Hang on, quick interruption, Cook. Yeah. is here. I got Hazel. I'm here. I can't <laughs> Okay. Hell yeah. All right. We. Yes, now Isola is good. I, I do feel bad, though. She's been, her energy was, like, really bad, like, yesterday afternoon. And then I took her temperature, and it was, it wasn't like, like it wasn't 98, but it was, like, 99.7. So, like, it was... It was on like the warm, yeah, it was teetering on the warm side. So like I got her like a, like a cold washcloth for like her head and like try to mm -hmm. just help her be comfortable. But it's I, having a fever blows. So no, she's, you just never she's fine. Oh, poor girl. Uh, okay. So I let, let's circle back to this. I got some edits I got to make, but <laughs> that's fine. And that's life. Okay, circling back to streaming. So we basically said that, you know, shady numbers they yeah. could have they could have the numbers be shady because uh, certain studio distributors basically want to have better profits for themselves, mm -hmm. uh, pay pay writers less and stuff because they're like, wow, whatever. They don't have to know how successful it is. More money for us. Cha -ching. Exactly. Or that's they can a just that's a simple way. Yeah, they can just present the image that they are like on top and they're doing so well because nobody knows. Yes. Now, so speaking of what we do know, though, th this is a smooth segue. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what slide right over what we what we do know at least as of may 1st is what the writers want we do know that okay. uh because it's actually published i don't know if you know this like it is oh, public yeah they they put it out there it's a public doc i'm actually going to share my screen with you so that you can actually see it because i thought i would kind of run down it and then as I go down each one of these, it's, which is not, for the record, this is not like a 20-page document. This is not that painful. Um, but I'm going to go through each of these on here because I want to be specific to the people listening, like what exactly the writers are wanting. Mm -hmm. We need to know that and also figure out at least our interpretation of how close the unions are on this versus, oh, hell no, we're not even anywhere close. And yeah. unfortunately, in my just personal opinion... <laughs> 
there's like a good 70% of hell no on this of like, we're not even close to it. And only like the rest of that being like, we're kind of close, but let me get this shared here. Uh, Actually, let me, let me throw this over here. Okay. Can you, can you see this? Yes. Oh, this is very nicely laid out with between the two. Like, this is what the, okay. Yes. So PTP wants versus the WJ. Oh, this is very nice. Yep. So give give me, give me two seconds here because I'm going to throw this over here quick just because I have some notes to kind of go along with this. But um, let me go through this document with you and I, and I'm not going to read this like verbatim, but I'm just going to kind of give you the general gist of it. So mm-hmm. what I'm looking at everybody listening, I'm looking at the WGA negotiation status as of May 1st, 2023. And there's two columns that basically show what the WGA is proposing. And then there's also the AMPTP's offers or counter offers to what the WGA is proposing. Okay. Now, something to be clear about this document, at least this is for me, it doesn't say this, but I'm interpreting it this way. This is published by the WGA. So that means it could be within reason to assume that the stuff on the AMTP that's written by WGA people, I would assume. So meaning that I still feel like there's details that we probably won't know about when it says like rejected their proposals, refused to make a counter or some of this language in here. I really don't know within 100% certainty how much is that being directly pulled from what the AMPTP is saying versus how much the WGA just threw this together. Not trying to be distrustful of the WGA, but it's like, look, they are humans. They have a point of view. I could see this. So. It's important to understand context. And I was going to ask about that. If everything that's on the AMPTP side is based on, you know, previously what had been in place or what had been come up from the last time that they negotiated. Right. So if you, if you go down the first part on this, the first sub column on here, it says minimums. So it's saying that the WGA is wanting a 6% to 5% increase for all minimum salary payments for residual or excuse me, for residual basis. So that just basically means the residual rerun money and stuff like that. They get more of a bump than that. The AMTP, their counteroffer on that is essentially uh, about a 2% gap on this. So they want like maybe like a 4%, 3% one. It's not nearly as high. Um, and maybe even like in certain cases, like a 2.5%. So not the worst place to be a part on that, but they're still not fully there on that. Right. Yeah. But they're at least, they at least have a desire, it looks like, to do an increase regardless. So I'm like, okay, like that's, that's okay. Yeah. Now, if you move on from this one going down to features, they break this down into a few more subcategories. So the first one is streaming features. So WGA is saying that they want streaming features that got a budget of at least 12 million or more to receive that receive uh, full theatrical terms that they get better basically compensation up front and better residuals on the back end. That's what they want. Now. There's some language over here that I don't fully understand for the AM PTP, but what is clear on this is that they're saying, sure, yeah, we'll do an increase, but it's for a $40 million budget project and not a $12 million. So that's about a $28 million difference in the area of what they constitute being an increase versus not. So, yeah. And it looks like they're trying to make uh, specifications on 
even beyond budget of which companies can actually no, companies yeah. which shows can actually require because i don't know what hbs stands for but vod yeah demand so it makes me think like you know you're made but at the same time you have shows like succession or whoever who yeah. are made specifically for hbo so yeah. it doesn't make sense to <clears throat> excuse me it doesn't make sense to specify no. that and that and to me, to me, the way that I interpret the streaming features clause in this is that, you know, the WGA is saying, uh, regardless of what, what the content is, if it's a show or a movie, they're saying $12 million budget, 40 million or more is what the other one is saying. So that to me is basically saying, we don't think that, you know, lower indie films and things like that deserve yeah. to have a kind of increase. Basically they're like, if it's a studio project, which I would consider if you're talking that kind of money. I mean, you might in today's standards still call that a low budget film in the grand scheme of things for big studios because it's not like Fast and Furious where they have like 150 million. Mm -hmm. um, 40 million is no cheap chump change. And there's a lot of filmmakers that yeah. are not going to be able to get up to that level. And there's a lot of jobs that are under that threshold. So I don't think they are super close on that one either. No, not at all. I think if that's the case, you're going to root out all of the indie films that really make the industry yeah. thrive and are important and vital and you just you're gonna have a whole swath <clears throat> of marvel movies yet again <laughs> marvel marvel um, <laughs> um guaranteed second step so yay more kind of terminology that the average joe blow will not understand so i i did the hard work for this everybody i googled this okay i figured out what this meant Second step is a term that basically means rewrite in the writer's world. So if they are requiring a separate, uh, a second step, um, if hired for a screenplay for less than 250% of the minimum, I basically read that as is that you're guaranteeing a writer to be allowed to do another pass on their script if they want to and get paid for it still. So it's not mm -hmm. just they turn it in once and like that's all she wrote and somebody for the studio does rewrites and touch-ups. You allow the writer to have another pass at that and let them do it. And this is where we get kind of a, this is really a passive aggressive fuck you personally to, to the writers, at least how I read this yeah, is it says that. rejected our proposal countered and, and first off rejected our proposal. That sentence is in here a lot, but I like this part saying that the AMPTP is saying that they countered by offering meetings to educate creative executives and producers about screenwriters free work concerns so it's like we'll That's give you like a, an education forum they go oh sweetie you're so dumb let me teach you and it's like they know ah that's ugh. that that's the first one in here that i'm like mm, i don't i don't really i don't i don't really like that so team writer on that one okay but to be fair i will say there is one point in here i did make a note that i am on the side of the other one on here i'm not purely all writers man because yeah look they're people and not everybody's ask is a reasonable one yep um okay this next one here uh, weekly pay. The writers are saying they want 50% pay upon commencement and remaining 50% to be paid out weekly over the writing period. This would apply if a writer is paid less than the 250% of minimum. Writers above this threshold have the right to opt into weekly pay. Uh, they just say right here, rejected the proposal, refused to make a counteroffer, big middle finger to the writers. So just nope, we're just not yeah. even entertaining that one. Yeah. Um, well, I, I want to keep going on that one before we before we keep talking. Okay. Next, there's a there's a section here that says Appendix A. I, I don't know what the hell that means, but I do know what this part means, where it says established minimums for streaming. So now we're getting to, into the streaming verbiage. Okay. This is actually one of the parts where 
unless I, you know, don't really understand kind of the full uh, direction on this, I'm a little bit actually on the side of the AMPTP on this, and I'll explain. So this says that the writers are saying for established minimums for streaming, they want to extend television, quote unquote, Appendix A terms to high budget shows made for SVOD, including weekly minimums, 13 week guarantees and residuals based on aggregate or quote unquote aggregate. Now that this is really kind of like, you know, very specific terminology to this. So Mm -hmm. I don't know what all this means. The AMPTP, then they say, Appendix A weeklies apply only to high-budget comedy and variety programs made for SVOD. Budget break is $700,000 for a 300-minute, excuse me, a 30-minute show. So they put in some math on this, frankly, uh, talking about, like, budget structures to how long it's being applied for. But the important part I want to emphasize is where they say there's no aggregate or 13-week guarantees that would apply, and riders can be employed on a daily rate basis. Now, here's where I say I'm not quite 100% on the rider's side for this, because the way I guess I'm reading this is that the riders are essentially wanting, if a rider gets hired on for something, they get at least to like to be on a project for like a week or you know an extended period of time you know it says even 13 week guarantees right mm-hmm. i feel like there's got to be more language to kind of talk about this because i could understand the studio's point of view basically saying okay you're saying any and all projects we have to have a person on for weeks at a time when maybe they just need to be on here for like a couple of days or maybe like 2 weeks I could understand where the studio would have a point on that because that's kind of a, a, a weird precedent to set to be like everybody, even if it's like a, you know, a, a one hour project that they're going to be on and paid for like weeks at a time. I don't know if I necessarily do agree with that. So, and, and, but I also acknowledge I might not be reading that correctly as well. Mm-hmm. That's just where I interpret that. Yeah, I definitely, this just as a side note with this, the way that this is set up, it is so just deeply lawyer speak that yeah. I'm just going to go with what you interpret. I'm doing my as. best. I'm doing my I'm, best. No, honestly, and your best is fantastic because I don't know what's going on. Reading right. reading all of these terms like for myself. So I'm going to yeah. go based off of what you said. And I get what you're trying to say of like, if you have a writer, you you hit a certain point where you don't need them anymore. And that's, I feel like that's not like a... Mm-hmm. that's not coming from a place of money. That's just coming from a place of logistics. If you're entirely shooting, your script is done. You haven't had to make any script changes. You don't right. need the writer anymore. But that being said, this point did kind of come up in some of you know the news coverage that I've seen. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Michael Schur, the guy, the showrunner for um, The Good Place, uh, Parks and Rec. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and he was talking about how the value of having people on set for longer because those are your next generation of showrunners. He came out of the office, you know, yes. so it's like it was really yes. important for him to be around the office and like again, <clears throat> different kind of a different environment where you have regular joke writing. You're on that regular mm. broadcast schedule where you have the 22 episodes. Sure, you're you're needed more versus sure. a, a succession. That's but it's I, I, important I, to have someone like that around regularly because it's like yeah. you you need that next generation. You need to know how to run a show. That is actually a that. yes, that is a good point because I did see the the context made not exactly from the individual you stated, the Parks and Rec guy, um, but that you know there is sort of a a professional ladder, if you will, that a series writer in particular would climb, and that you know maybe you're like a guest writer at first 
or you have a couple uh, episodes to direct and write, or you're, you know, producing a handful. And then eventually, as you say, you graduate to, okay, I really know how to run and operate a writer's room and, you know, the set and stuff from a writer's point of view. And now I want to go ahead and work on my own show. Hence the term showrunner, which is like, you're basically overseeing all the story content and ensuring that there's continuity throughout. So Mm -hmm. on that front, I totally get it. Um, I would say you keep that kind of a clause fair for them to like allow for minimums times on shows. That makes sense to me. Like I could see that too. Cause a show, even, even if it is a streaming one, I mean, assuming it's going to be intended to have at least, let's call it three seasons, right? Just assuming we don't even know. Cause that's kind of the gamble with TV too, is that like you could still have something greenlit for 20 episodes, but it get canceled after a while. Cause the viewership isn't there, but mm-hmm. for the TV clause, I think I get it. I just think if they're going to meet a happy middle ground on this, they have to just establish clear uh, clear rules for exactly the duration and type of content. I don't think you could just do a blanket, like have writers be on there for weeks at a time for everything. Because I don't think everything would require that. But a show, certainly, I could understand that. I I feel like I could get behind that. But like on a movie maybe maybe just depends on the shooting schedule that they have too they might not need them for the entirety of the production yeah no i agree with you on that because yeah if you have your if you have your short little like comedy half hour shows you almost need to have your writers there all the time because the joke's not going to land or you know you might need to adjust some material you it would be kind of foolish to not have them on site for longer right but totally with the movies like you had a certain point and you're just shooting the movie maybe you maybe you reduce to a skeleton staff where say yeah. a joke isn't working or the script has to be changed up a little bit and you have maybe one or two people that stay on longer but yeah. i think it's a matter of actually really digging into really <clears throat> digging into the negotiations on this you know how can we yeah. make this very specific and outline exactly who can and can't be there yes. it's not a per- it's not a perfect system and it could potentially lead to people being left out of the writer's room yep. and being engaged in the show running process. But at this point, who knows who's to say um, some, and I, and then something else I'll touch on this too, because I definitely think this is an important part when we talk about negotiations for stuff like this is where does the money come from? Right. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes people are just like, they're like, we want more, we want more. Okay. But there's no such thing as anything free in life. Somebody is paying for that. But I, I do happily have an opinion on that. It's just, I'll reveal it once we get to the end of this. Okay. okay. So if we go back through this, and again, I'm trying to make relatively breezy work of this because as Sophia pointed out, you guys can't see this. There's certainly boring ass lawyer speak riddled throughout this thing. So I'm trying to make it sense, uh, make sense of it. But, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. So there's also a section in here for episodic television. So this is where they actually get into the language behind the writer's room talking about what they want. Now, on the left here, WGA is saying that they're talking about uh, pre-greenlit rooms. Um, We don't have to understand all these terms, but what it does say is they want a minimum of six staff writers, including four writers and or producers. Um, They get into some specifics saying that they'd want a writer uh, on contract for up to like six episodes, then one additional one if there's like two extra added on top of that, et cetera, et cetera. So it seems to me basically that you, you keep them in there for a good solid chunk of time initially. And then if the series develops and progresses and you need to bring on more people, you allow for that, but you still Mm -hmm. let that first person be a part of it for a significant amount of time. It looks like. Yeah. 
to the AMPTP. They just said get fucked, and they they they're just saying rejected the proposals and refused to do shit. So that's yeah, that's that one. And I'm then, sure that there's some yeah, clause. I'm sure that there's some clause in there about payments on that time whether like before Probably. the show is set versus after yeah i mean bless the people that put this together because even if this is lawyer speak i guarantee you there's still way more paperwork oh, God, than yeah. what we're seeing here so this is at least semi-digestible yeah um then they uh also go down here to a clause related to the episodic television and it's talking about duration of employment clauses okay so this is also one where it's kind of similar to what I said before, where I actually lean a bit more towards the studio to mm. to to this is, and they're saying they want minimum staff guaranteed. The WGA wants minimum staff guaranteed at least ten consecutive weeks of work. And then there's some other language on here saying that writers on staff must get at least three weeks per episode. Um, half of the minimum staff must be employed through production and one writer must be employed through uh, post-production. Now, some of that, sure, fine. But when they just put these rigid labels of like, it's got to be 10 consecutive weeks, I just don't know if every project merits that level of work to it. And, and I'm not trying to be shitty to the writers. It's just... At one project is different to the next, so it'd be really hard to put that set clause to me for everything. Um, but again, I'm sure there's also a lot more to it than what I'm seeing here. And to what the AMPTP or the, the, the AMPTP, I'm gonna get tired of saying that. The yeah. producers rejected. No, they just are. They're just not saying anything on that. Yeah. There's also. I, or sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I agree with you on that one. And it's the beauty of the WGA is that it can encompass so many people. Yeah, but for sure. The, the other side of that is that because you encompass so many people and so many different types of projects, it almost makes it near impossible to, yep. to, to come to any sort of conclusion that actually works for everybody because True. someone's going to get left out. Someone's going to be overly restricted. Someone's <clears> going to get the best deal that they have ever gotten in their life. Exactly. Yeah. And it's... I I still think that they can get close to getting some of this stuff ironed out within a relative amount of fairness. There's always going to yeah. be some ambiguity where you have to have somebody negotiate a little harder on something. Um, and you can leave to me, you could leave clauses in there that would say like, this is open for negotiation up to like a certain percentage threshold so that like, there's still a cap on it. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, that's a different, different subject. On the TV weekly thing, I'll keep this one simple and just essentially say the WGA wants uh, increases for their staff writers, story editors, executive story editors. They just want a bump in money, basically. Money. Yeah. And the AMPTP, they're jumping back saying, yeah, we'll give an increase, but it's kind of similar to the other one I said where they're still not wanting to give near as much of an increase. It's still about like 2 5% off in that threshold, but still at least they're talking. So yeah. that's that's good. Um, if we keep going in this lovely document, there's a section here that says pre-greenlit room compensation. I don't fully understand what all those are, but they are talking about development rooms and things like that. WGA is saying more money. AMPTP is saying we'll give you some more money, but not a whole lot more money. So 
definitely seems that WGA is asking for a lot more money and AMTP is offering to give some money, but not near enough to what the WGA wants. At least that's how I look at this. Um, Okay. I wanted to talk about this part here, streaming. Okay. So this is actually some really interesting stuff here. This first one here, foreign streaming residuals. So this really gets down into the language of like, how do you sort of, uh, quantify profit off of numbers that go into stuff and i'm sure there's again there's people that read this and they work in this and they can understand the language on this but i'll do my best still so there's a spot here that says the wga is saying that they want uh, residuals based on streaming services foreign subscriber count okay yeah and then the AMPTP, they're saying this acronym HBSVOD. I don't I did look that up. Oh, I thank God up. you did. What does that mean? Um, it means high budget subscription video on demand. Mm, okay. So in other words, like big time streamers, Paramount yeah. Plus, HBO Max. HBO, yeah. Well, actually, I should call it Max now. It's not even called HBO. It's weird. Um, so they're saying that this would only be applicable to looks like the largest global streaming services being Paramount Plus. Or hang on, let me. I'm sorry, I'm gonna back this up. AMPTP. They said they're counter to that first one on the foreign streaming residuals of the WGA. Is that say that acronym again, please? <laughs> High budget. Wait. Yeah. It makes it makes sense in my head, but then yeah, 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 yeah. Yet I'm like, uh, high budget subscription <laughs> video on demand. Residual based on foreign subscriber count for largest global streaming services, Paramount Plus and Max continue to pay a lower license fee based residual. Hmm. So I'm sure there's a lot more to that. But again, my my dumb, dumb brain and simplistic mind, that to me is saying that certain streamers pay higher residual ends and there are certain that pay lower. And it sounds like to me that the bigger ones pay less apparently than the ones that perhaps are not as big. So maybe like a Tubi or a crackle or some of these other ones that are out there that aren't, you know, a Hulu, but they still have content that's there. But who the hell knows who the the hell knows? And God help the people that make the rules on this. I, I I echo. So I, Sophia, I echo you when you were like, (laughs) just like, cause this is just like, uh, like I would not want to, I would not want to do this for a living. Uh, Okay. I want to keep going down here. It breaks down on the WGA side. It kind of gives brackets, if you will, for viewership. And I don't understand all this, but what I do understand is that they're like, okay, if it's less than 20 million people, you get a certain payout rate on it. If it goes up to like more than 75 million, you get big time payout for it. Mm-hmm. And in turn, you go over to the AMTP and they're like, we'll give you a little bump, but it's still, I'm looking at the numbers. They're still pretty far off from what the WGA is looking for here. Yeah. Um, and just this whole subject too of like how do you even quantify like the residuals and determine that profit model? That that's it's I know it's freaking it's freaking weird. I, I, would, I don't know. It would require that you have buy-in from those big services, your Netflix, your Hulu, your whatever. Yes. It would require <clears> them to also come to the table who are gonna bring their own negotiations. And I think it's important. I think it's really like meaningful this, to those members, but it's uh, also like it's just gonna gum up the wheels that much more. That's a great term, actually. Gum up the wheels. I'm going to use that one. That's a good one. Yeah, I really like that one. It's good. Rip that one off the dome, you know. Hashtag Sophia's a writer. Um, Okay. (laughs) So there's a part here that I think I want to get your opinion on this because this is 
this to me is yet another screw you to the writers. I just I'm I'm calling it like I say it. It's just constant. <laughs> so there is a spot here that says viewership based streaming residuals, and there is a subtext that says tiered fixed. Now the WGA on this document, they say they want to establish a viewership based residual in addition to existing fixed residual to reward programs with greater viewership requiring i think this part's very important require transparency regarding program views this is what yep. we talked about in that shady number shit with the streamers to which we have yet another sentence of we not only reject it we're not even going to make a counter to you we exactly. are not going to divulge our profit schemes to me yep. like that's that's really how that reads to me um I think because because to me, like I look at this and I'm like, why is that not fair to establish a precedent on a viewership based residual and especially the transparency part? Why can you not be transparent with that information? Yep. It's kind of like what I was saying earlier of like you need to have the buy in from those big, big distributors, those big streaming platforms to make this mm -hmm. happen again pulling in outside forces and making negotiations more difficult. But to me, that no. just makes sense. When you were talking earlier about what shows get rerun, <clears throat> the most popular ones, it's your friends, Seinfeld, George yeah. Lopez at 2 a.m. You know, like you George know, Lopez at 2 a.m. A very specific time. Frame to watch. <laughs> that, is, that is in the opening, isn't it? It is. Um, <laughs> but it, it, to me, it just makes sense. Like mm -hmm. you, if you are on those popular shows, you deserve yeah. to be rewarded for the fact that you produced something that was so quality that so many people wanted it. Yes. However, I will say the only thing that scares me a little bit about it is, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to streaming, is the fact that like you have somebody like Spotify, who historically has been horrific at paying their people uh, pay, paying their artists that use spotify spotify put their music on i'm sure that's a whole uh, i'm sure it's whole gotta be a whole other beast because yeah i don't i i don't understand how musicians make a livable wage off of the streaming payouts on that i i, I mean they I probably make they probably make the bulk of their money from honestly touring and you know things like that not or at least even, I would I, hope. I don't. I, you know more. You're the that. yeah. You know more. <laughs> and that's I'm. I'm trying to keep the lid on the can of worms right now because it's dangerous. Yeah. I'm about to fall in. But Ed, but all that to say, the biggest thing with Spotify is that with their streaming, they pay pennies on the dollar for mm. for putting out a song. And it seems like the way that it's set up now with streaming, it is the exact same way for right. for it. So it just makes sense that yes, and it does kind of okay. Yep. Yep. Ah, it does <laughs> it is mind it's a little bit of a mind fuck because you know you want to uplift the smaller shows you want your weird little thing that just gets kind of dropped on yeah <clears throat> whatever platform to be able to have the same to be able to prosper and to maybe find that yeah. second season for the devoted fans to potentially become one of your biggest yeah one of your biggest shows but it also just makes sense to pay out your biggest shows too. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have someone producing White Lotus, someone writing for White Lotus or whatever, whatever mm. great show, you deserve to be compensated. I don't know. Yeah. It's, so, and, and we're going to get to that uh, here. We're going to actually get to that soon, which is the, where would the money come from for these increases? As, cause the, the, and I, I also, I'm just going to give a warning to the, to the audience in here. When we get to that point, I definitely may come across as man, like screw the corporation and like the thing, because there's, 
there's definitely some sentiment there and I think you'll, and I have some specific information to go along with that. So it's not just nonsense. Um, okay. So the streaming thing, uh, I don't think, I don't think they're close on that. I'm actually very disturbed by the fact that according to the WGA, there's not even any talk about having that transparency of, uh, program views on your, like uh, even, even if like to me, like, okay. Even let's say like uh, one of these streamers is not like a publicly owned company, so you're not going to share that information. Fine, I get that. But to say, but to say that you would not even share that information with your creators, the people that are doing it, um, big big red flag to me. Totally. I don't like. I don't like that. And to me, it's just as a producer, wouldn't you also want to have that information? Yeah, because it's say you know you have a show like The Bachelor, where it's like you're you're getting X amount of viewership and you want to create a spinoff show as yeah. a producer. You would want to know how many viewers you're getting from that streaming platform on that mm-hmm. content to kind of understand, like, is this a viable option for us? Mm-hmm. So to be like, absolutely not. Don't give me that information. I absolutely don't want to know. It just seems like poor business sense. Yes. I don't know. Now I I'm gonna I'm gonna skip to one more section on this and then I'm gonna close out of this doc and we're gonna start winding this conversation down. But I gotta touch I gotta touch on the artificial intelligence thing here because this is yep. also to me scary speak in what is what's in here. So here's where the writers, in my opinion, are being perfectly fair. They're saying that they want to regulate the use of artificial intelligence on MBA covered projects, which I actually should know what that means. I uh, know what that means. Tell me what that means, please. So MBA is, uh, it's, it was like minimum. Basically, it's like when you're paid, you set the contract, when you're setting up the contracts for all of your workers, you set like a minimum level. Like and a minimum kind of, base allowance or something like that? That's what it is. That's is that what, what that means? Is. Okay. Genius. Look at our minds. Um, But... <laughs> You set up that minimum level and it's based on another like comparable art worker. So it's like, say you're writing for The Bachelor. They're going to look at like Love is Blind on Netflix and be like, oh, okay, a writer on this show is paid XYZ dollars. We'll set that minimum allowance at XYZ dollars. We can pay them more, but we can't pay them less than this. But and they're not going to they're not comparing to like a Shonda Rhimes show, like a Grey's Anatomy, who gets a right. lot of viewers, pays a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. They're going to look at another kind of on that same level. Yeah. So they're saying so. So here's where they're saying this. So we figure out the MBA thing. So they want to the writers want to regulate the use of artificial intelligence on a minimum base allowance covered projects MBA projects. And the AI cannot write or rewrite literary material, and it cannot be used as source material. I think that's an important one. And that the NBA cover material cannot be used to train artificial intelligence. Okay. I love that they were that clear about it. I love that they yes. had exactly, this is what we want, this is what we want, and this is yeah. what we want. Because and if they were just like, no AI, then it's a problem. But they said it. Love yeah. That. And I'm sure there's probably a thing in here because I imagine this is like a summation of a bunch of complicated lawyer speak, because I would also want to put in something here saying that, like, for like maybe the let's call it 10 percent of the total WGA that actually likes the AI thing, if they want to, like I said, use a sophisticated tool to help them polish up something, I don't that's personally like, yeah. think that's a huge deal. Um, but yes, this they have this language here. Mm-hmm. And then this is uh, this is. <laughs> Uh, my blood boil. So blood yeah, you, you, you've, yeah, you've already read it. So mm-hmm. it says the, AMT, the AMPTP, they say, rejected the proposal, 
countered by offering annual meetings to discuss the advancements in the technology. So we'll talk about it with you. So like, we'll, we'll, we'll hear you. We'll hear you out, Mm -hmm. but we'll still also not give you a job because uh, the robot over here is writing for you now. Exactly. In, (laughs) in 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 a way, I will say that I do think it is important to have annual meetings to discuss advancements in technology. I know that that falls yeah. outside of their regular scope when it Probably. comes to when they have yeah. their contract negotiations. Which is but like, we- which, which on that subject too, do you think the three-year timeline is still good for that? Or because maybe because technology advances so fast, they got to do every year. Yeah. But then maybe that's so much of a freaking headache. To, yeah, to exactly. That. Exactly. So I don't, I don't mm. mind the three-year thing because you're yeah. going to have things come up. I don't know. Maybe things change because I I do agree that technology, especially in entertainment, progresses so quickly. And the last, it, or, sorry, continue, please. Oh yeah, it's it's just important to have those regular conversations. But the degree of condescension that's in that stupid Def- thing of like, yeah. you're so dumb. <laughs> no, yeah, it's not so not annoying. feeling that. Oh, it's so I, annoying. I do think what is nice at the very bottom of this, I, I stopped sharing the screen for your, for yourself, but for the everybody else listening, hopefully you're still listening at this point. I realized we, we, I told you we were going to get into the weeds on this one because there's, there's a lot to, to unpack here, but very important at the very bottom of this doc, Sophia, it says cost. And it says right here, black and white, the WGA writers guild of America proposes the, these proposals in summation would gain the writers approximately 429 million per year. And then they clearly say that the AMPTP, their offer is approximately for an $86 million per year increase. So way far apart on that. And then interestingly enough, the WGA throws in a little, uh, to me, this is kind of a passive aggressive slam they throw in a spot here right afterwards that says that 48% of that 86 million per year is just coming from the increases in salary minimums. It's not coming from like any of those other areas that they're talking about Mm -hmm. to me. Like that's kind of like, that's throwing some shade to me at them. Um, so what I want to open this up to right now, because we spent some time, um, and again, thank you for everybody listening on that. Cause I realized going through that form, <laughs> the, the negotiation is not good, but look, the thing is though, too, I pride myself in being a person. I'm not just going to babble about something without at least trying my best to do my due diligence to understand totally. something. Um, I realize not everybody has the time to do that, but Hey, that's what this podcast is for. You didn't have to do all that. I did it for you. And hopefully you kind of can articulate your opinion maybe a bit more on this subject or maybe do your own research now because you don't certainly have to listen to me. I will definitely tell you what I think, though, in this section, which is, Sophia, let's try to figure this out. Who is... Is is any one of these sides correct? I mean, like, are there... Like, are we... Like, are we we team writers? You know? Like, screw the AMPTP? I mean, like, what's... In my head... Yeah. Coming from my incredibly biased perspective, as someone I mean, you are writes, a right. You are a writer. I'm you a are. writer. Uh, uh, I'm with the writers all day. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, yes, yeah. there are a few things, but that's what negotiations are for. You yeah. know, there there were those one, two, three, maybe bullet points that the AMPP sure. were valid on, or and. Mm-hmm. should definitely be brought to the table, but I am with the writers all the way. I don't think that any of their demands yeah. were way too pie in the sky or were way too no that wouldn't actually benefit the industry wouldn't benefit the industry and the people that are a part of it. Nothing would be, you know, mm-hmm. 
that's my take. My Jordan. take, yeah, my my take on this is, and and you cited this as well. I threw a couple of bones to the studio yeah. when I'm when I'm looking at both sides of this because I really rarely think that even in a situation like this that you can completely have one side be absolutely er- like just erroneously wrong. Like they are just so yeah. wrong that you can't give them any wiggle room because I try to just go purely from the human level. This sounds kind of hippy dippy, but hear me out. All of these people, they are, they are people at the end of the day. Can I really claim that every person that works for the AMPTP is a bunch of scumbags that are just out to get these people? No, no. I can't, I can't really do that. I know they have some of these things in place for a reason. However, I will definitively tell you that still, even with the bones I gave them, just to be fair, for clarity's sake, yeah, after going through all this, I'm team WGA. I am yeah. team, like, let that be on the record, I am team Writers Guild of America on this, because I'm sure they're going to have to lower their asks on some of these things to, like, kind of have a happy ground in the middle. That's just negotiation 101. Like, sorry, writers, you're going to probably have to accept that. As but, well. but... They're absolutely right to bring up that streaming has been largely unaddressed and kind of been allowed to be the wild, wild west for years. And it's not going anywhere. And if you want to still let the theatrical experience exist with streamers and you want to have writers be able to make livings off of both, you got to pay them what's right. Now, also for that matter, let's talk about this on the money side, right? I said, where the hell is this money going to come from now? There's two schools of thought that I, for one, have on this. Broadly speaking, I would say that the studios would need to take a hard look at where all their costs are outlaid at. And I'm sure they have accounting departments upon departments that look at how much it costs for costumes and catering and trailers and God knows every other thing, marketing. The list is freaking huge. But I think you got to look at all those costs and do simple cost analysis and figure out areas that you can trim, areas that you could not. Um, but then the other side of it, and then this is definitely my very like screw you to the man thing, maybe take away some of that money from the freaking executives up there because I did some research yes. on this, Sophia, I did some research and I'm going to read out some of this because apparently this is, this is true. I guess I'm going to, I'm going to say that this is true because the source I pulled this from, I believe it was a combination of three. It was wall street journal, New York times and GQ. So if you think any of those are reputable, then that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's where I got this from. But, um, the WGA through these outlets made a, a statement that I'm going to read right now. They said that studio CEOs are essentially paid an obscene amount many of like the CEOs of these studios and they cited uh, two of them that about made me want to puke. I'm ready to One reach. of them. Yeah. Ready? Okay, okay. Get this. So according to them, they say that the Warner brothers uh, discovery CEO, which is, I don't know if you know that like discovery and Warner brothers had like a historical it merger. Hurts. So that's yep. the whole, whole separate thing. Mm-hmm. The Warner brothers discovery CEO has reportedly in 2022 took home $250 million last year. 2022 and the netflix ceo the other one this one's not as big of a barf blast but it's still there netflix ceo made 50.3 million in 2022 now look this is where i I said it's it's like yeah like this is absolutely where i'm just like okay well this is like greed at like its finest and corporate capitalism bullshit because 
especially like that Discovery CEO. I mean, two hundred and fifty million. What the hell do you need all that for? Even some, even like a high paid actor. Like even if like The Rock was on something, and sure, you could say that he doesn't need to make fifteen million on it. And no, he probably doesn't. But is he like two hundred and fifty million? It's that's that's where you get some of this money from. That's where you get some of this money from. Yeah. And I would also say too, if it doesn't all deserve to go to strictly the writers, well then find other areas of the entertainment aspect where people are getting screwed on compensation and pay and spread yeah. that love a little bit. They don't need that. Exactly. Exactly. It's kind of what we're saying with the rising tide, like lifts all boats. If one part of your system can't afford to do the job that they have, they will fall out of the system and then the system would yeah. crumble. And that's not even, again, not even just the writers. That's the catering people. That's the transport mm-hmm. people. That's the makeup people. If, you know, Molly Mae, the makeup artist, can't aff- isn't being paid well because the money is just put somewhere else to pay mm-hmm. for the 15th super yacht that this CEO owns, you know, yeah. it's another problem in the system. Like, that money can be spread around and shared because they probably, ugh. They, yeah. just might have enough, they just might not have a more as powerful as a union, as a WGA. Yeah. And we don't we don't know the way that they're affected by this. And I do think I also think as well, this this is beyond just like my opinion of who's right, because I I clearly share that again, for the record, I stand with the writers after doing my research on this. However, um, there's a bigger, bigger implication, I think, with this whole thing. And this is I mean, we could talk about this also at great length. It's just just greed in 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 capitalistic corporate systems i mean i some of this is just purely human i i I don't know if you will ever if you would ever let's say in this instance in entertainment if you could ever actually get a you know really profitable big studio open that doesn't have an executive that wants like a three million dollar bonus at the end of the year or wants something obscene like i i don't i don't know if you can ever really truly get rid of that um not in the current system no, I mean, not not at least, yeah, like you said, not at least in how our financial structure is is placed out right now. But I can just say myself, and again, maybe this is probably why I'll never be at the top of the table in whatever industry I choose to be a part of is because I, I could not look myself in the mirror, Sophia. No. I could not look myself in the mirror if I was just like, you know what? Man, I like bought like five villas in, in Spain and I did this, but you know what? Uh, I also was able to like cut costs in our company and, you know, now there's like 50 great, earnest, creative, dedicated people that will probably never get a job now because my rich ass did, you know, bought these villas yep. that I don't need. And I'm just like, like, I also like, as like a leader, cause I, th- I think I'm a leader in my own right. I mean, I, I don't think you also have to have a, uh, you know, a, a leadership title professionally to be a leader in, in your, in your life. Um, I just, to me, like, that's not real leadership. I mean, to me, no, like a real, a real successful, even like a really rich person, like, yes, you would want to stay rich because you want people to look up to you and like that you want there to be a clear like path to be like, you want this, you got to do all this to get there. So I'm not going to dismiss somebody and say rich is bad all the time, but I know there are uh, executives of companies that also are good they donate a lot of their money to causes that they care about, or they do trickle it down and give healthy year end bonuses to their people. And I definitely think if I ever got into a position where I'm more in charge of the checkbook like that, we're going to do like a lavish party and things like that, but ain't going to be for me. 
exactly. gonna be it's gonna be for the freaking team because mm-hmm. I get enough perks being at the top as it is. Why the hell would I need? Like I just yeah, I, I can get kind of infuriated when I talk about that subject as well. It's yeah, and it's very frustrating. It, no, totally. And then it's also just a thought of putting a price on art. Because no matter how, what show you're working on, it doesn't matter. You are creating art in some sort of way. And for these companies to be like, why don't we give you $5? And you're like, can I please be able to pay my mortgage? It doesn't, it's not, it's not useful. You're, you're, you're just denigrating the artists that create the thing that you are enjoying and that you're, you're loving. And it's just like. Yeah. It doesn't work. That something way. something else I just thought of too, because this could I mean, there's gonna be a lot of implications that can come from this beyond just the strike that's happening right now. Something I thought of is you know how we talked about majority of speaking, at least time is told that uh, any successful writer that's going to have a future, they're going to probably be a part of, you know, WGA yeah. or in some part they'd have to work with one of these studio systems to get their project made. If things go like this and there continues to be just significant breakdowns in the negotiation and you're getting nowhere, ultimately, like all artists and viewers ultimately suffer at the end of the day for this, because then you're not going to get those great, you know, big studio movies like Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Dungeons and Dragons, any of these big movies. Um, There's going to be significantly less and less of them made if these unions cannot be more fair to their employees that they contract and represent. Uh, and then it's not to say that other good content doesn't get made, but again, going just to audience, it's not going to reach as many people. Things will just be really niche and cool for like a very small group. But then the people that work and bust their ass on that bull bullshit to tell me that they don't want that stuff being seen by as many people as possible. Exactly. Exactly. And then I does think that, shows... does that make sense? Totally, totally. And then I think it just also shows greater maybe this makes again to use your phrase hippy dippy maybe this whatever <laughs> i don't know it, i should probably find a different term for that i like <laughs> it i like it. it it sows more cultural divide because you have those people who are like i mm-hmm. can access this highbrow thing and then they just like look down and they're like look at these losers who don't know about this tv <laughs> show because blah 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 you know it just doesn't yeah. it's not it's not a successful system to make it work that way um to force it to work that way because so... it should naturally I got a couple small things to to finish this out on because you've been more than generous with your time. I figured this would be I'm kind having, of a, I'm having a great time. I figured this would be a beefier episode just because of all the not just the nuance, but I mean, you all heard it here, people. There's a lot of details, a lot of deets to break down on this. So I, I appreciate, again, everybody making it this far because uh, all, I also just. Sorry, I loved it. See, my my brain's uh, spiraling out because I'm like, oh, this this lawyer speak and unions and everything. But I appreciate y'all making it this far because a, it shows you care. B, I also do sincerely hope that if you've been listening at this point, you did walk away and learn something. I mean, I'm sure there's something that you could have listened to from this and be like, Oh, okay. Like he like actually broke this down in a way that's kind of understandable. And I don't have to read 18 articles to get there. So hopefully that's there. And then more importantly, I'd like you to not just take my word for it. You do the legwork into this yourself and figure out where you stand. Um, but hopefully it gets you involved with the conversation and also gets you to, uh, have some skin in the game for this. And if you're also somebody that is, working as a writer or entertainment, I think you should look into this issue 
seriously. Like you should take it seriously and not just kind of like bypass it again, especially if you work or have a desire to do entertainment for a living. This should matter to you. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Now that being said, I want to throw out this and then we're going to end this. AMPTP. I did try to look. I was like, what's some statements that they have officially put on the record, right? Because I, I said the one about the, the the WGA leadership basically saying that the you know CEOs are greedy bastards that are <laughs> having all this money. Exactly. Um, but the AMTP. I'm like, what do what do they say? I didn't find a lot, but I did find two uh, two little statements that ugh, they're not great. Uh, but I'm gonna read them right now. So one is that. As to comment on the entirety of their proposals, there was a statement they released saying that, and I quote, the quota is incompatible with the creative nature of the industry. So they're basically saying what their demands are are unrealistic is how I take that. And then this other one here, I'm just like, like not, (laughs) not great. They said on the record, um, quote unquote, writers are lucky to have term employment at all. Barfa, I hate that. So you're lucky to even have like a guaranteed like a couple days. Like, uh, that's not good. I hate that so much. I hate that so much because it's like there are so many industries that have unions, and yeah. I think of something. I think of something like the NFL Players Association mm-hmm. doing work to make sure that people aren't injured, people aren't like left yeah. with just so many things. They do so many things for the players, but I'm sure. If you were to ask them, if they're to, to negotiate and there were to be a strike, they would do the same thing. You're so lucky to be able to play football. You're so yeah. lucky. And it's just like, you need these people to do the literal entire thing that you have here. You would yeah. not have you would not have football. You would not have Amazon. You would not have Starbucks. You would not have any other unions without people <clears> putting <throat> their foot down and saying, hey, what you're doing right now is not, it, it is not in any way effective for me as a worker. I will put it to you. This. I, I will put it to you this way. I think this is my final thought, and then I have one more question for you um, to to okay, wrap this up on. I, I, yeah, no, it's okay. I'm, I keep saying like we're almost done. We're getting there, and, I, and I'm doing my best. It's just there's a lot. Um, I will say this: the the writers are absolutely essential to any creative project that is being depicted on film or whatever the media is. If there's a writer in it, you it's essential. Okay. I don't think you have to convince people of that. Even the AMPT, whatever, the producers, they probably know this. Now, that being said, though, it is interesting when you look at the power that a union has, because I'm sure there are others that have more influence than not. So, for instance, let's say, uh, and 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 I just want to be clear on this, this is kind of jokey i'm gonna get into a little bit here i have full respect for the group that i'm going to kind of make fun of on this so i'm not i'm not throwing you under a bus this is just purely for an example just okay i know i just i sometimes spell this out because the last thing i want is someone to be like well i I do this for a living you son of a bitch and you know blah 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 be better (laughs) here's what i'm trying to say let's say the caterers that work on a movie the people that give the crew food okay Let's say they're pissed at a lot of similar things. Their base rate sucks. They're not getting paid. Unsafe work conditions. It doesn't really matter. They're pissed and they don't want to work. Now, they go on strike on a lot of these projects and things like that. What doesn't happen? Well, you guests get less charcuterie boards. You, you get less, you know, food and things. Okay. Okay. 
Now, here's what I'm trying to get at okay. with this. Yep, yep. My my point I'm trying to get with this is that some people could look at this within entertainment or in those seats of power, and they'd just be like, well, that does suck, and our cast and crew might not be as happy, but whatever. We'll just get them some frozen pizzas, and uh, you know, we'll we'll make do. We can fix that. Put that back into the writer's thing. You get the writers to stop doing this. Now, unless you have this supposed AI technology that's like, you know, going to write stuff and whatnot, put that to the test because otherwise, basically, you're fucked because you're not going to have any series, no movies. You're going to have reruns to death. There's not going to be anyone to help get these creative visions off the ground. Like, it literally cannot be done. Yeah. It cannot be like, done without that. That's what I'm, does that, did that point make sense? Yes. I will say, though, that if you look back at old models of old models, old previous strikes, in yes. 2007, reality TV exploded because it's un, unscripted. And yeah. And also so on, on that on that real sorry, real quick point on the reality oh, TV, because yeah. I should have mentioned it earlier, because um, some people ask, well, won't reality TV like continue and like thrive and stuff? Perhaps. The argument is per the argument is perhaps because most of those people don't have uh they're not part of the WGA and even if they are WGA doesn't have the same um protections and clauses towards reality TV con uh, uh content as does the other mediums that we talked about so I just wanted to specifically say that sorry yes. yeah, continue yeah, yeah. no but I was just gonna say that with more reality TV that might be what they turn to or they turn to other other options similar to that where you don't have to involve writers. Again, with going back to the art thing, you're going to have a of a worse product. Listen, yeah. I love the I love the Bachelor. I love reality I love reality TV. I love the Real Housewives. Yeah. It I it's shit and I know it. You know, I'm not <laughs> I'm not I'm not out here saying that like, oh my god, season 6 of Real Housewives of Potomac is on the exact same level as like the first season of Stranger Things. In no way am I saying that. I kind of almost, I kind of almost want you to though, and just like stick with an record. opinion. Yes, like stick with an opinion like that and see what happens. See what, see how far it gets me. But no, it's like you need those writers to actually produce a quality product that moves yeah. people and creates real meaningful conversation, change, yeah. growth in the entire human. Spirit. I mean, this is kind of art. 101 is that like you know art is an expression of our human existence and it's an expression of our condition and we're trying to communicate our experiences and our truths and everything like that and uh writers absolutely do that i mean it, it just yeah you just you, you can't do it without them um i don't know if they're going to get all the money that they're asking for so this is my final segment yeah. on this is prediction wise uh as of now, I mean, this is, again, recorded May 21st. They're going to have to certainly meet more in the middle on a few of these things. Like, they're going to have to give a little bit. Even the writers, yes, sorry, but you're probably going to have to because unless there's some crazy dynamic or change in the bylaws of the studio systems that say where money's allocated that, which, good luck unless you get some real warriors in there to fucking be killers and fix that. They're going to have to meet more in the middle. Um, I do think both sides would be foolish to drag it out indefinitely, like for like a real, real long time. My my optimistic prediction is that people bang their heads together for a while and then maybe we're back into the swing of things by like September. That's my kind yeah. of like if I'm just kind of given a general ballpark because it's summertime right now. Um, I'm sure people, you know, don't watch as much stuff, at least inside, because, 
you know, summertime, at least domestically here in America, it's uh, nicer, yeah. you know? Enjoy it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I just, I think, I think we still have a lot of, a uh, lot of room to go, but I would also implore this to perhaps somebody on the WGA or the AMPTP that somehow found this and they listened to it. Um, you guys are going to have to certainly be a lot more, um, a lot more open-minded than practical when it comes to AI. That subject yeah. is very sticky and the streaming thing, freaking have there be guidelines on that. That That is something that, that, that you cannot have that be unregulated. Like I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that that's the way. So they're going to have to lawyer it up and put in some regulations, I think, on some of this. I'm all for transparency when it comes to business profits and stuff. I don't think that's at all a problem. Um, And I really ultimately, at the end of the day, I want to see creatives in these things continue to thrive. And I hope through these painful negotiations, as stressful as I'm sure they are for, of course, no one more so than the writers, um, I hope they get through it. I hope people learn something from it. And I just really hope that this will ultimately result in a more echo, a more equitable place for writers and creatives of all types to be working in. We love this industry. We don't want to see it be diminished and tarnished and screwed up by mm-hmm. greed and shit. So exactly. that, that, that's my, that's my speech. So what, what's, what's your, pre- what's your prediction? I agree with what you're saying about how it's people on both sides are going to lose some of the things that they brought to the table. That's just the way that negotiations work. That's the way that compromise works. But I really, really, really want the WGA to hold on to, like you said, the streaming and the AI stuff. Hold your ground on those things Mm -hmm. because those are the things that are in my head, at least are most meaningfully impacting your situation now because you look to the strikes of the past. You look to that. What was that big flashpoint thing that was that that was why you're striking in the first place? Streaming is why they are striking in the first place. The biggest thing, the most yeah. <clears throat> the most groundbreaking thing. Make sure that that changes because it's not going backwards. It's not going to become easier to stream for the writers. So by putting those protections into place and making sure that the writers are secure now is only going to be better in the future. Yeah. Also, <clears throat> I will say this kind of back to the the screw the corporate thing. Give me an explanation for why that CEO needs the two hundred fifty yeah. million. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going back to that. I'm sure, there's o- I'm sure there's other, there's other like overly paid people, but uh, the the only thing I could think of is that the person's like, do you know how expensive taxes are on my Ferrari? Like exactly, you gotta pay more maybe, to cover it. Yeah, maybe maybe don't have. 20 Ferraris just have Drive one a Honda. or yeah, let's, there's some nice ones out there. Some nice ones. You could, you could still be riding in style and not have a Ferrari. Yep. Um, uh, so la- last thing I'll say to just the general audience as like the final wrap up on this, um, really appreciate everybody listening. I do think this is again, a subject that people should have an, uh, not only an opinion on, but do your research. I, I definitely think you can't just, kind of throw your hat into the ring on this without actually doing some homework. I know it's tedious. I know it sucks. There's some lawyer speak out there. There's people that like to overcomplicate it. But at the end of the day, this is about money. This is about rights. uh, And this is also about creative people having the livelihood to continue making stuff that you love. So 
get involved with this. Uh, yeah. I, I know some, you know, this isn't even like, a, this isn't even, thankfully, thankfully I can actually say this. This is not something to me that's so controversial where it's like, you know, get involved with politics. You need to take yeah. a stand on gun reform, man. And like things like that. Like this, this is not something like that. This is purely an industry dispute about people being compensated fairly and people being allowed to continue to do what they do for, you know, us, the people that are buying their content. So mm -hmm. I don't see any reason why it's controversial to stick your, stick your head into the sand or not the sand, uh, stick your head out a Hope little bit. Around the door. Yeah, yeah. Stick your head out a little bit. If you got a social post about this, look into it. Um, but I promise this is something where you need kind of grassroots support to have people have an awareness about this stuff. So if nothing else, uh, I really hope that this episode did help with that. I appreciate mm -hmm. Sophia for being on and lending her writer's Hell perspective because yeah. uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think if I really know a lot of writers personally that actually are being paid to do writing. And you're one of the more few I know that does kind of your stuff. Uh, yeah. And also the the niche thing that you do, which it's not, I shouldn't say niche, music it's reviews niche. is not that niche. But it's pretty cool, the, the, the stuff that you do. So... Um, any last words, Sophia? Mm, the only thing I'd say is that writers of all stripes and varieties power the life that Americans lead. And to ignore them is to lose the life that you lead and enjoy. So listen to the right, listen to the, listen to the workers and go from there. The people. The people, man. <laughs> I actually, I, I lied. Very last thing I'll say. And I, this is, no! I don't know. I, I, I know just, it's terrible. This is almost like, actually, actually here, I'll do this. Um, I'm going to exit this episode now, but if you stay after my outro music, I'm going to throw in this little blooper there. So you got something. I, I rarely do that. So, <laughs> okay. Thanks, Sophia. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Bye. Okay. Okay. For the now, real ones. Okay. For the hey, real ones that are still yeah, here. You're still you're still here, right? Okay. So <laughs> one thing I find very uh kind of not hilarious, but like I just think it's interesting. So with protesting and picketing, I love that despite all the advances in technology, we still resort to that wooden stick with a I sign it. on it. I love like they, they haven't love... really changed they haven't really changed that. It's like there's something about the actual stick. And like the writing on it, though, I do mm -hmm. see the WGA has like, they look like they have they like branded, branded they have branded ones. And what? I wonder, I wonder where people get that. Probably, they probably, they hand them out. They, they probably I'm hand sure, them out. yeah, like set yeah. there, but they're funny and it's, it's more. Because it's like, not like they hold up an iPad, right? Or like a yeah. big, like you need the rah. Physical, physical <laughs> media, man. Um, physical no, picketing. Physical. No, it's just like you can see it, and also if someone crosses yeah. the picket line, bah, get them with your little stick and be like, "Why are you crossing the picket line?" I bet that would hurt the bah motion that you just did. It was yeah. essentially <laughs> Sophia taking a stick with the blunt end of it and smashing <laughs> no, it over someone's head. <laughs> uh, yeah, all WGA members should uh, resort to violence, is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Put me on the record as saying that. But That's um not good. yeah, don't I wouldn't don't do that. No, I just I just had to throw in a thing in there saying that picketing has not really changed as far yeah. as the way of doing it.
and tell your listeners, I can just tell them I'm on the mic. I mean, yeah, you're, you're on it now. <laughs> listeners, look up some of the signs that the WGA members have come up with because writers are funny and mm. writers have come up with some great ones. Well, um, I better look this up bruise. quick and I be- I'm going to look this up. WGA picket signs. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure I'll put like the best picket signs. Yeah, someone's made a listicle. Don't you worry. Oh, there is a list. Actually, hey, uh, plug for NPR, but they have one. The best picket signs of the Hollywood writer's strike. This was published on May 4th, so it's relatively new. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm just going to read out some of these really quick. Um, <laughs> oh, this one's good. Uh, it says, of course, all these say writer's guild on strike. They all say something like that. And then the message is typically on the bottom. This one says, uh, wrote, uh, wrote chat GPT this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh yeah, this one says chat chat GP uh chat GPT doesn't have childhood trauma. <laughs> no. Uh this one says our therapist keeps saying we have to stand up for ourselves, so here we are. Sorry. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, let's see. Do you have one that looks funny? There was one that was just, there was just a lot of like, you know, put us back <laughs> on the job or we'll spoil your favorite show. Oh, this one's good too. Uh you're gonna be the villains in the limited series we do about this. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, this one has a, a little scenario. They have it writer, and then it says, I have to. I have a family to feed. And then it says, Studios, who told you to have a family? <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's that's depressing. Ah! This one's simplistic. One. This one's simplistic. I like this. Give up just one yacht, with one being underlined very heavily. Where's that money going? Why do you have that much? Why are you being paid that much money? What's it for? Uh, this one just, there's a lot of chat hate against chat, uh, chat GPT. This one says, I told chat GPT to write a picket sign and it sucked. <laughs> nice. Uh, is there, okay, let me find one more and then I'll shut up because this has probably been one of the longer episodes in screen speak history, but it's fine. It's fine. This is an interesting subject. Yeah, they could just go for a long walk, you know. Uh, let's see yeah there's the one i think you just said pay your writers or we'll spoil succession that's uh interesting um i don't know if i understand this one it says ai question mark more like i i i oh i i get it i i i i like that one that one's clever uh well this one's this person's directly out of walt disney studios and that just says the greediest place on earth and it has like a drawing of like the mouse good the mouse oh guild versus evil damn that's that's pretty harsh um the ceos have yachts writers have mortgages yeah that that is also very true that's the thing it's just it's just right there. Oh, this is oh, this is interesting. There's two of these side by side. I wonder if these people came together. It says the first one says, "What would Larry David do?" Okay, and then Always next a to you it, gotta ask yourself. And then next to it, because I said this is where I see the connection. The next to it, it says, "No scripts for you, like soup Nazi." <laughs> like there's a there's a tie-in for that. So that's uh, uh, wow. Oh, this one, it's not even. <laughs> this one's good. Okay. So spoiler alert, all the old white CEOs die in the end. Nice. Man, I keep saying I'm going to say one more, but these, a lot of these are good. I just, uh, I, I keep, 
Oh, okay. This is the last one I say, and then I swear, swear okay. to God, I'm done. There is no post credits <laughs> thing after this. This is post credits. <laughs> Uh, for those of you that watched Andor, uh, you'll understand this, but it has like the rebellion, uh, symbol painted into the word one, but it says one way out. So if you watch that, there's a, there's a prison break that they do in the oh, show. Andy okay. circus leads it. And that's his chant that he kind of says to everybody is one way out. And then in parentheses, the one way out is a fair contract. Love that was, that had complexity to it. Yeah. Yeah, so it was a. I had to I had to explain it. Otherwise, it doesn't. You're not appreciate. Yeah, I really wasn't when you first read it to TPH, but you know. No, no. I'm glad That's I why know I said now. it's it's specifically for the Andor audience. Okay. Yep. Um. Okay. Oh, no. We've been we've been talking for almost three hours. I think. We're <laughs> yeah.